Thank you. Please be seated. Mr. Bailiff, we could have the jurors brought in, please. All right, thank you, Mr. Bailiff. Please be seated.
Okay, good morning, everyone. We're going back on the record on case CR 22-211624, State of Idaho v. Lori Noreen Vallow. The court would note the parties are present, including the prosecutors as well as the defendant and both defense attorneys. The state is continuing with its case in chief at this time. The court would also note the jurors are all present and accounted for, and I believe they have each signed their juror affirmation for the day. Is that correct? Yes, Your Honor. All right. Thank you, Mr. Bailiff. Thank you again for your continued service and for continuing to follow the court's admonishment. I believe I don't have my microphone working. Okay. That's better. Thank you. All right. Again, thank you to the jurors for your continued service in this case and for continuing to comply with the admonishment each day as you go home. All are in attendance, so the state is continuing to present its case in chief and I believe has another witness to call this morning. Is the state ready to proceed with their next witness? Yes, Your Honor. The state will be calling Audrey Baratero. Okay. Okay. Before we get started with testimony, let me just inquire of the witness now that you've been sworn. Ms. Baratero, have you in any way heard or read any of the trial testimony in this case? No. Okay. As you make your responses to any questions here as you testify, please talk right into that microphone. Please make verbal responses to any questions so we keep a clear record and avoid speaking at the same time as any of the attorneys questioning you. With that in mind then, Ms. Rawlings, if you'd like to inquire, you may. Thank you, Your Honor. Good morning, Audrey. Good morning. Would you please state your name and spell your last name for the record? My name is Audrey Baratero, A-U-D-R-E-Y-B-A-R-A-T-T-I-E-R-O. And what city and state do you reside in? Gallatin, Missouri. Okay. Have you heard the name Lori Vallow? Yes. How do you know Lori Vallow? She was a friend. And how did you first meet her? I attended a conference, well, the end of a conference in November 2018, and her home was offered as a place where people could stay. So that conference, I think you said, was approximately when? November 2018. Okay. And you stayed in her home during the conference? At the end of the conference, yes. Do you recall who else stayed at Lori's house? I think Zulema, Melanie Gibb, and there was others, and Chad Daybell was there. 
Okay. Do you recall where Chad Daybell slept while he was at the residence? He slept on the other side of the home. Okay. Were you able to observe Lori and Chad together during that time? Yes and no. I observed that every once in a while they looked at each other or there was like just a, I don't know, kind of a vibe. A vibe. Mm -hmm. So your observations with how they interacted, uh, can you expound a little bit more on that vibe? Um, Did they seem flirtatious? Did they seem like they knew each other? Did they seem... They didn't seem flirtatious, but it seemed like maybe they knew each other a little bit or something. Okay. And were you aware if they had met previously? I think that they met in St. George. Okay. Uh, When did you next have contact with Lori? I believe in February, so about three months later or or so. And um, Chad asked me to be her friend. Okay. So I was going to ask you how that occurred. Can you just explain a little bit how Chad asked you? He asked me to be her friend um, and that she needed a friend, and I said, okay. Did he say why she needed a friend? He said that he couldn't talk to her all the time and that maybe I could be someone to, like, uplift her or, you know, be a friend. Okay. And you mentioned this occurred in February. Would have that have been the February of the next year? Yes, 2019. Okay. And when you talked with Chad, how were you talking with Chad? I was talking with him on the phone. Okay. So he asked you this over the phone about Yes. Okay. And how, how often would you say that you talked with Lori on the phone after that? Usually it was every few weeks, but there was times that it was every couple weeks or a week, but for the most part, every few weeks. Did you get to know each other over the phone? Somewhat. We talked about more so spiritual things, um, not as much things going on in personal life stuff. Okay. And when did you next see Lori in person? In the summertime. Okay. Of 2019. Same, summertime in 2019. Um, what kind of event were you attending at that time? There was a event that was scriptural-based and uh, somewhere in Utah, um, Utah Valley, and uh, I went to that. Okay. And I just want to back up a little bit. Um, I think you said that... Uh, Chad asked you to be Lori's friend because he couldn't talk to her all the time. Do you know what that meant? My impression was that he was trying to keep propriety um, because he was married. Okay. And this conference that you saw Lori at next, you said it was in the summertime. Where was that conference held? I'm sorry, can you say that again? Where The conference that you attended in the summertime? Mm-hmm. Where was it held? It was held in Utah somewhere in the Salt Lake Valley. Okay. And where were you living at the time of that conference in the summer? Do you remember what month it was? 
I don't, but I would guess that it was in June or July. Okay. And and where were you living at that time? I was living in Utah. Okay. So you attend you lived in Utah and you attended a conference in the same state. Is that yes. Right? Okay. Yes. And um, do you know where Lori stayed when she attended that conference? In a hotel. Okay. Uh, did you spend any time with Lori? Yes. Do you recall who else uh, visited with her and you? Um, Zulema was there and Melanie Gibb, and there was some other women that I didn't know. And what did Lori talk about at that time? I don't remember what was talked about, um, but at the end of being there, um, she brought up wanting to work on her husband at the time. Okay. And do you know who her husband at the time was? Charles. At some point, did you go back to her hotel room? Yes, that's where she brought it up. Okay. So when you say that she wanted to work on her husband, Charles, what does that mean? Um, well, um, do you want me to back up a little bit? And sure. So at some time close to that time, um, when I had seen her again after not seeing her for a long time, she all of a sudden, out of the blue, brought up, all of this stuff about zombies and people being possessed is kind of the idea of that. And um, I hadn't heard of that before and had no basis for that. And that's why she brought that up in the hotel room, because that was something she was doing herself. So let's just break that down a little bit to make okay. it a little more clear. So you mentioned that sometime before this she was talking about zombies and people being possessed. Yes. How was she talking to you about that? On the phone. Okay. I hadn't talked to her in like three weeks. And all of a sudden she brought up all of this things she had learned. And it came out of the middle of nowhere. Um, and then she asked my thoughts about it and I said I didn't have a basis for it and that it made me feel uncomfortable but she was basically alluding to people the term I guess that eventually she called it was zombies and that it was people being possessed or having a spirit like connected to them or something okay and was the spirit good or bad or light or dark? It was supposed to be bad. Okay. So you first heard about this on the phone, mm -hmm. and then when you were at the conference in the summer, she brought it up again? She brought it up again, yes, in the, in the hotel, hotel when uh, the women were there. Okay. And so when you're at the hotel and you're talking about this, what else happened in the hotel room? Um, people were just like, kind of chatting and I, I, you know, just small talk kind of a thing. And then she brought up saying that she wanted to, like, work on trying to get a, a negative spirit out of Charles. And, um, but actually, I should say, at first it was just like everyone started holding hands. And I didn't know what they were doing. 
And I thought maybe there was going to be like a group prayer or something. And so they all held hands, and I joined hands as well, thinking it was going to be a prayer. And then she started talking, um, basically to say that she was going to try to get a spear out of Charles. And each woman would say something. And then... So what do you recall Lori saying? I don't remember exact words, but things like, Knives and fire and like weapons that you would try to use to that kind of an idea. Okay. And when you were holding hands with this woman, were you standing, sitting? How were you guys sitting? Kind of sitting in the room. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was the first interaction that you had with this circle or this casting or. Yes, and I didn't know that term of castings. And um, when it got to me, I didn't feel comfortable and didn't say anything. And then as soon as that was over, I left. Okay. Because I I didn't want to say. Okay. After this uh, interaction in person with Lori, did your acquaintance or friendship with Lori continue? Yes, it did. How did you communicate? On the phone. Okay. And were you communicating with Chad Daybell during this time as well? Yes. Now, how did you meet Chad? I met him in an event in St. George. I had never heard of him before. And he was a speaker and wrote books. And someone said, oh, you should go and hear him speak. So I did. And then I bought a couple books. Okay. And do you know what Chad did for a living? He was a speaker and an author. He wrote books. Um, How many books of his have you read? Three. Okay. At some point, did you have contact with him about his books? Yes. um, About two months after I had seen him at that time in St. George in 2018, he reached out to me on Facebook um, to open up communication. And at that time, I asked him some questions I had about his books. Okay. So who initiated the contact? He did. And that was on? Facebook. Facebook, okay. Um, how would you communicate with him after that? On the phone. On the phone. Did you continue to communicate on Facebook, or was it just on the phone? Just on the phone. Okay. And what kinds of things would you talk about with Chad? Religious things. Okay. Um, and you were continuing to talk with Lori? Yes, uh, about a month and a half or so after he started a conversation, and then he asked me to be friends with her. Okay. Um, once you started talking with Lori, I think you said February 2019? Yes. What would you talk about with her? About, like, religious things or spiritual experiences. Okay. Do you recall uh, talking to Lori about her move to Rexburg? Yes. And do you know where Chad was living at the time? He was living in Rexburg. Uh, Do you recall talking to Lori in late August or September 2019 about her daughter, Tylee? Yes, there was a few times in the fall that I asked her how her daughter was doing. Uh, When I stayed at her house in November 2018, 
I met her daughter for a few minutes. Okay. And so in the fall of 2019, <laughs> um, I asked every once in a while, like, how is Tylee doing? Because she was at college. And towards the end of the friendship, um, when I asked her, how's she doing at BYU, she said that she doesn't talk to me very much these days. Okay. So I think you mentioned you had met Tylee initially at that uh, Arizona conference. Yes. Okay. Did you ever meet JJ? Yes, for about five minutes, yeah. Okay. Did you ever have the opportunity to meet Tammy Daydell? Yes, I did once. And how did that occur? Um, I happened to just be going to Idaho, and um, Tammy and Garth uh, and Chad wanted to go to dinner. And Garth is uh, one of Chad's sons. And so we went to dinner, and I liked her very much. And do you know who Tammy was married to at the time that you met her? She was married to Chad. Did Chad ever say anything to you about Tammy? Yes. Uh, during the course of the friendship, he said that he had had a near-death experience years before and that he had been told by a deceased relative that Tammy would pass away before she turned 50. Do you recall when he told you this? I would say around the end of January 2019 or in February 2019. Okay. And at some point, did he indicate to you that he felt he would get married again? Yes, he did. Did he tell you who he would marry? He didn't tell me for a while, uh, but then eventually he said Lori. Okay. And did he discuss this with you prior to Tammy's death? Yes. What were your observations regarding that? What do you mean? What did you say to him? What did you? I asked that? him if he had talked to Tammy or and or his children about it, and he indicated that he had talked to Tammy for sure, and I don't remember about the children. Okay. Now, you mentioned when you talked on the phone with Chad and Laura, you talked about religious stuff spiritual stuff. Did they talk about other spiritual or religious teachings with you? Besides what we've already kind of covered. Yes. Did they talk to you about prior lives or probations that Lori and he had? Yes. What do you remember about that? He said that he had been Methuselah and he said that he had been an apostle at the time of Jesus Christ. James. And do you recall if Lori and Chad indicated a belief that they had been married in previous lives? Yes. Do you know what names they claimed to have in that prior life? I don't remember about the time when he said he was Methuselah. I remember that she was somehow around, according to them at that time. But I remember that he said, he indicated that they'd been married at that time when he said that he was an apostle. And he said he was who? James. And do you recall who he said um, Lori was? His wife. And he said her name was Elena. Elena or Elena? Elena. Okay. Um, at some point, did you move away from Utah? Yes, I did. Where did you move to? I moved to Missouri. Okay. 
did Lori come and visit you in Missouri? She did. She and her niece, Melanie Boudreaux, said they didn't have anything else to do and asked if they could come and see the church historical sites in Missouri. They had never seen them. Okay. Do you remember when that was? October 2019. Do you remember if it was the first part of October or uh, later? The first part. Okay. And you mentioned that Melanie, her niece, was with her. Is that right? Yes. Okay. Was anyone else with her? No. Did you ever see Tylee with her in Missouri? I did not. Um, you mentioned that the reason for their visit was to see some of the church sites. Yes, they said that they had some free time and wanted to go see the church sites. They'd never seen them before. Um, did you visit with them at that time? I did. Where did you guys visit? We went to a place called Adam and Diamond and um, to the temple, and uh, they went to Liberty Jail. Okay. <clears throat> At some point, did you also go back to their hotel room? I did. Did you stay there with them? I did stay there one night, yes. Okay. Now I want to talk to you a little bit more about this experience that you had in the conference in the summer in the hotel room. Mm -hmm. That was, I think, the first time you'd heard about this idea of zombies and people being possessed. Is that right? Yes. And... Um, do you remember when you first heard Lori use the term zombie? I don't, but it would have been in the summertime. Okay. And do you know what it meant when she was explaining this, if someone was a zombie? Yes. Um, the idea was like the person was possessed and that there was a spirit in them that needed to be taken out. Did you ever discuss with Lori or Chad whether someone was light or dark? Yes. Um, what did that mean? Chad, um, Chad had this idea that, I guess, like he would say if someone was light or dark, depending on if like they were predominantly a good person or if he predominantly thought that they were a negative person. Okay. Did you discuss with Lori people that she believed were dark or were zombies? Yes. And who were those people? She said her husband Charles was, and then um, later at the end of the friendship, she said that her children were. Anyone else? And Tammy. Okay. Yes. And so her children, can you just give me their names again? Tylee and JJ. So these included Charles, Tylee, JJ, and Tammy. Is yes. that right? Was there anyone else that she, she talked about being dark? Uh, yes. Um, Melanie Boudreaux, one or two of her children. Okay. Now I'm going to go back to when you visited with her and Lori at the hotel room in Missouri. Um, what happened there? They invited me to stay in their hotel room instead of driving back to my house, which was a distance away. And um, it was going great. And then um, basically she brought up the idea of working on Tammy. Okay. And again, when you say working on, what did you guys do? 
She said that Tammy had um, a spirit that was in her and needed to be taken out. And I told her I did not want to help and that I did not want to participate. And she... Okay, if you need to get some water. She highly pressured me, saying, you're supposed to be my friend, you're supposed to help me. Like, Chad asked you to be my friend. And I reiterated that I didn't want to. And she kept on. And this was later in the night. And I didn't know... I. I didn't do those things in my own life. And I said that I would say a prayer. And basically, I said a prayer to Heavenly Father saying, okay, I don't know what's going on. If there is something going on with Tammy and it needs to be taken out, I ask for thee to help her. For thine angels to help her. And I asked that she would be able to feel the love of God. And then did the prayer. Okay. And were you holding hands with Lori and Melanie during this no. circle? No. Okay. Um, do you remember what other people were doing besides you during this circle? They were standing or sitting. Okay. Did Lori say anything about what needed to happen to this spirit that was in Tammy? That it needed to be out. Okay. At that time, I'd never heard it before. It was, again, at the end of the friendship, because I dissolved the friendship. But basically, at that time, Chad brought up an idea that, according to him, that if the spirit was in someone's body, that they were somehow being held prisoner. And like an idea of a cage or something. Okay. Like jail. And so the first time you participated in something like this was in the summertime in Utah. Is that right? Yes. And then, and who was that for? That was for Charles. And do you recall when Charles died? I was traveling in Europe for about a month, and uh, that was in July. So it would have been July 2019. Okay. And um, after doing this other work in Missouri on Tammy, um, do you recall ever hearing Lori express frustration or have an explanation for why someone might have remained dark or why they were doing this multiple times? Yes, she, it's like if it didn't work, at least to me, it seemed like if it didn't work, it's like came, like she came up with a new idea. Like it didn't work because of this. Or um, it just seemed like it was like, oh, it's because of this. And then, oh, there's this other thing. And then, oh, and that, oh, it was another spirit that got in. And, and it just seemed like it. I don't know. <laughs> we'll just keep going and going and going. Okay. 
Do you recall receiving a text from Lori saying something along the lines of, well, we did a lot of work today, we got her out, but a new one got in, we're still working on it. Audrey, any ideas you have would be greatly appreciated. I didn't remember it, but I, I do know, yes. Do you know what that was referencing? I believe it would have been re referencing Tammy and the idea that she was saying there were spirits that kept, like like I mentioned a minute ago, like, oh, it didn't work. So she, then she would say, oh, another one got in and okay. with what they were doing. <laughs> yeah. Um, why would Lori have been asking you for ideas or guidance? I don't know. Did you have any special knowledge or insight? No. When Lori and Melanie visited in you, you in Missouri, did you do any other work other than on Tammy? No. And where did Lori say Tammy's spirit was? She was saying that she was in a cage or a jail or something like this and it was the idea of like she needs to be freed and held because some person's overtaken her body okay and so she wasn't in her body anymore Sorry. according to them according to Lori and do you know what would happen if this dark spirit was pushed out at the end of the friendship when I heard Chad Daybell say, something to the effect of why is the body still alive or something like that. Okay. I realized that they must have a different idea, okay. even further. Even further. And what did that mean? they didn't want that they didn't intend for the person to be helped I would think um, that they didn't want the person to live and after you visited with Lori and Melanie in Missouri did you take a trip later in October yes where did you go to Hawaii and do you recall about when that was toward the latter end of October 2019. Okay. Do you recall who picked you up at the airport? Melanie and Lori. And where did you stay? In a hotel. Who was at the hotel with you? Lori and Melanie. What do you recall about your stay in Hawaii? It was very uncomfortable. Um, Basically, they invited me saying that Melanie was going through a hard time and that she needed a friend. And I said, I could be a friend. When I got there, shortly after getting there, Lori told me that Tammy had passed away. 
and I didn't know. I asked her when, and she said I'd been about a week. I asked her, how did she pass away? And she said in her sleep. Um, do you recall what, el what there other kinds of things you were doing in Hawaii while you were there? We went on a bike ride and most of the time spent time at the beach. And what did you observe about Lori's behavior while you were in Hawaii? She was seemed agitated and snippy toward Melanie and just different emotions. Um, other times she would like swing and be um, like happy and, but overall, it, uh, her behavior seemed different. I had not seen her behavior like that. I hadn't seen her much in person, but she had been nice and very, I don't know, you, but in, at that time, she seemed agitated or, like I said, snippy. Okay. Um, and now when Chad had asked you to be friends with her because he couldn't talk to her all the time, uh, did you notice anything about her behavior that was related to, to Chad? Um, there was times that she would get phone calls and she would leave and go talk and be gone for a long time. And I would just be sitting with Melanie, trying to keep her company. And um, times when she was happy, it was, seemed like she was thinking about him or I think had talked to him on the phone. Okay. And did you personally talk to Chad while you were in Hawaii? Yes. And you mentioned that you heard about Tammy's death while you were there. Yes. And you heard that from Lori. Yes. When did Lori leave Hawaii? She left Hawaii on Wednesday. I had said that I was going to go home. I didn't tell them this, but I didn't feel comfortable. And I was going to go home. And when I said that I was going to go home, um, they said, but you just got here. And then Lori said that she was going to leave. And Melanie said that she wasn't ready to go home yet, um, but that she didn't want to be alone. So when Lori said that she was going to be leaving, then I said, well, I could stay with Melanie so she won't be alone. And so did Lori leave before you and Melanie did? She did. Okay. And do you know if that was planned? My impression is that the ticket was bought like the same day. Okay. Do you know where she left, uh, where she went when she left Hawaii? She said she was going back to Idaho. Okay. When did you leave Hawaii? On Sunday, that week. Okay. And where did you decide to go when you left? Again, I wanted to ideally go home. But I didn't want Melanie to be alone because she was going through a hard time. So I told her that I would fly with her there. 
And when you say there? Sorry, Idaho. Okay. And because I was going there so that she wasn't alone, that I would pay my condolences in person to Garth. Because I... (laughs) Because I knew that he'd been very close to his mom. And then also to pay my condolences to Chad. And so that's why you decided to visit Idaho? Yes. Where did you stay while you were in Idaho? In Lori's condo. And when you were there, did you observe Lori and Chad together? I did. How did they act towards each other? Very romantic. Did they physically touch each other? Yes. What did you observe? They were kissing and hugging. And was that just in the residence, or was there anywhere else that you observed this? I observed it in the residence. Okay. And do you recall who else was in Lori's residence in Rexburg when you stayed there? Melanie stayed in one of the rooms. Okay. Yes. Was there anyone else there? No. Did you see Chad in the residence? At times, yes. Do you know if he slept in the residence? Sometimes he came back later at night, and so I didn't see him come back. But other times I did, and yes, he did stay. Okay. And while you were in Rexburg, did you go anywhere? Yes, we went to the temple. Okay. Who was with you when you went to the Rexburg temple? Chad and Lori and Melanie. Your Honor, may I have just one moment? Yes. Your Honor, I don't have any questions at this time. All right. Thank you, Ms. Rawlings. Thank you. Who will be conducting cross? All right, Mr. Archibald. take this right, uh, you spent time with Lori and Chad in five different states, uh, Utah, Arizona, Missouri, Hawaii, and Idaho. Is that right? Yes. And you met them through uh, conferences or, or religious seminars. Is that right? Yes. And and what religion are you? A member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And what uh, what were these conferences uh, that you were going to? They were about like scriptures and 
about last day's events and and how old are you? I'm 34. Are you single or married? I'm single. Okay. And what do you do for a living? I will work remotely for customer service. Okay. And uh, so you'd go to these seminars to, uh, were they called preparing a people seminars? Mm -hmm. Is that a yes? Yes. And uh, it, preparing a people for what? For like the millennium talked about in scriptures. For the end of the world? Mm-hmm. Yes. And the end of the world uh, seminars was something that you were interested in? I was interested in learning about that subject. And is that when you uh, were introduced to Chad Daybell and, and started to buy his books? Yes. And these books that you bought from him, uh, were they about the end of the world? Yeah, they were like fictional accounts of like people who would be like living fictional type. And did Chad tell you, yes, they're fictional books, but they're actually true? He said they were fictional, but that they were based on some of the ideas in them were based on spiritual experiences or impressions that he or other people had had. And he had, Chad had talked to you about his near-death experiences, is that right? Yes, yes. And that he had uh, been to the other side, had seen that, and now he's back here writing books about it. Is that what he had told you? I don't know if he wrote a book about his near-death experience, but he was writing books. Okay. And the end of the world, is that something that's going to be happy or sad? Well, the scriptures talk about it being both. Okay. And so preparing a people is, is about preparing for a happy event or a terrible event? A happy event. So what's the, what's the point? Why do you need to prepare for a happy event? Objection, relevance, and argumentative. Overruled. Go ahead. Oh, what was the question? What's the point of preparing to be happy when Jesus comes again? What's the point of that? To be with God and to be with your family and to live among people who want to be with God. Okay. So is there, so what do you need to do to prepare for a happy event? Be living the commandments and the gospel, doing the best you can. Okay. So that's the point of these seminars or conferences that you would go to is how to be happy uh, if Jesus comes again. Is that yes. Right? All right. And so uh, spending time with Chad and Lori, uh, did you also meet Alex Cox? I met him once at the end of the friendship. 
And where did you meet Alex? In Idaho. Did you ever meet him in Utah? No. In Arizona? No. In Missouri? No. In Hawaii? No. Did you ever meet uh, Charles Vallow? Once. And what did you think of him? It was for a few minutes, and he seemed nice or uh, pleasant at that time. Do you remember when that was? November 2018. Uh, he looked look to you like anyone who had a demon or possessed, anything like that? No, not when I met him. And so, uh, when you, you did this first prayer group or casting in Utah, uh, I think that was, you said, summer of 2019? Yes. And so the, the, uh, and you had read in the scriptures about castings or uh, getting rid of demons or evil spirits. You'd read about that in, in the Bible? Not particularly, but yes, it's in the Bible. Yeah. Doesn't Jesus cast out evil spirits? Yes. So that's in the New Testament? Yes. And so you were familiar with that concept of, of Jesus casting out evil spirits, right? Yes. So in the, these prayer groups, when uh, when you and your friends were saying, let's cast out an evil spirit, uh, you had never been part of a, a prayer circle that had done that. No. And uh, was it unusual to you? It was very sudden and unusual, yes. Okay. Because you weren't... Uh, like Jesus in the New Testament, he'd see an evil spirit and he'd cast it out. And that's what you were familiar with, right? Yes. So in this situation, some ladies were meeting in a hotel room and asking Jesus to cast out an evil spirit uh, somewhere else, right? I don't know that they were asking Jesus to. Who are you praying to? Your Honor, I'm going to object. This is misstating uh, the witness's testimony. Um, I've all overruled that. I think it goes directly into what uh, direct testimony discussed. So, Who were you praying to if it wasn't Jesus? When at that other time when I said a prayer, I said a prayer. The method that they were using didn't seem like a prayer. Okay. So were they calling upon Father in Heaven? No. Were they calling upon the devil? Not specifically, but the words that were used were like aggressive things. And so this is your very first time that you spent with these ladies in a hotel room in Utah in 2019, and Charles Vallow was still alive, right? Yes. And they're saying things, and you don't think it sounds like prayers to Jesus. You think it sounds like something else. I didn't know what it was. 
but it wasn't like a prayer, like. And so were you worried for Charles Vallow at that time? I didn't know what to think. Did you call the police? No. So did you call uh, church headquarters? No. So you just thought, these are ladies, they're being kind of weird? Is that what you thought? Is that a yes? Yes. And so if you thought they were a bunch of weirdos, then you'd never want to hang out with them again, right? Yes, but I thought it was just, I didn't know what to think of it, and that I didn't know about it, and it wasn't my thing personally. So did you say, hey ladies, this is stupid, let's not do this? No, I just removed myself. I left right after. But yet you kept getting together with these ladies, right? No, I did not know Zulema and Melanie Gibb very well. So you met them after this. First time you met them again in Arizona, right? Yes, but I was not in communication with them. And your communication was mostly with Chad, right? Yes. So Chad was the source of all of your information about castings, about evil spirits. Is that right? I first remember hearing about zombies and that languaging from Lori. And where did Lori say she got it from? Chad, right? I, I'm trying to remember. I don't remember when I, for sure. Okay. And so uh, these these spiritual experiences that you were, their spiritual talks you were having with Chad, uh, were did you ever, at any time, think he's a he's a weirdo? He's leading me astray. At the end of the friendship, I, there was questions in my mind. So at the end of the friendship, you're talking about November of 2019. October. October of 2019. Yes. So in the summer of 2019, you were still a, f a fan of his, a follower. Is that fair to say? I thought that he had information and was doing good things, yes, at that time. And you, you went to his seminars, you went to his conferences, you bought his books, you've messaged him on Facebook, you called him uh, on the telephone, and you texted with him, right? He contacted me on Facebook, but yes, the rest. So you thought, this is some um, spiritual leader, uh, I need to follow him. Is that right? At that time, I thought that he was someone who could help understand. And because you were following him, is it safe to say that other ladies 
wanted to follow him too. That could be the case. Like Lori Vallow. Yes. Like Melanie Gibb. Yes. Like Zulema Pastinas. Yes. <clears throat> so when uh, so when Chad told you about prior probations and prior lives, uh, what did you think of that doctrine? I wondered if there could be something to it. And he said that he had been Methuselah. Is that right? Yes. And who is that? He lived in the Old Testament and uh, was a prophet. Though Chad Daybell told you, in a prior life of mine, I was a prophet named Methuselah in the Old Testament. He told you that. Yes. And you believed him. Yes. And in another prior life, Chad Daybell told you, I have been, I was an apostle of Jesus Christ. He told you that? Yes. And you believed him? Yes. So how many, so that's two prior lives. Did he tell you how many prior lives he had? I don't remember how many he said. Multiple? Yes. Many? Is that right? Yes. Over thousands of years? Yes. Over millions of years? Yes. Over billions of years? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Long time. That, that he was regenerating as all these great people. Right? Yes. Did he ever say, yeah, one of my prior lives, I was a loser in the 1700s. Ever say anything like that? No. Yeah. All of his prior lives, he was someone great, someone cool. Right? Yes. Yeah. And uh, and he said he told you that uh, his his name was James and he was a friend of Jesus, right? Yes. <clears throat> was he the the brother of Jesus named James or a friend? I think it was the brother. And that Lori had been, in one of her prior lives, she had been Elena, and she had been married to James in a prior life. Is that right? Yes. And Chad and Lori, in their prior life, uh, Chad told you that, uh, that they were friends with Jesus and walked in Palestine with Jesus. Is yes. that right? And Chad, Daybell told you that you were married to Jesus. Objection, Your Honor, relevance and beyond the scope. Overruled. Yes, so, he did. And so what was your name being married to Jesus? He said Joanna. Joanna. So when Chad Daybell told you that in a previous life your name was Joanna, 
and you had been married to Jesus, what did you think of that? At the time, I thought it could be true because I trusted him. You thought it could be true uh, because it sounded cool, huh? that a yes? Yes. It sounded amazing, right? Yes. <laughs> I mean, that's pretty cool, being married to Jesus. Uh, you thought that was pretty cool, right? Objection asked and answered. Sustained. So in your thought process, were you thinking, this Chad Daybell guy is is correct. He's He's really predicting the past. He can probably predict the future, too. Is that what you were thinking about him? Objection argumentative. Overruled. You can answer. Can you ask the question again, please? That was kind of a wordy question. So you thought Chad Daybell is telling me about my past. He can probably predict the future, too. Yeah. Because he was writing books about the end of the world. He was telling people who they were in prior lives, great people, not not losers, and, and that gave you a feeling of, I'm somebody, right? Yes. Uh, why did you move to Missouri? As a matter of prayer, I just personally felt to. Is that uh, because Jesus is supposed to come to Missouri? It wasn't for that reason. I was just praying and following the Spirit for my life. Do you believe that Jesus, when he comes to earth again, is going to come to Missouri? Objection. Her beliefs are irrelevant. That's sustained. You don't need to answer that question. Did Chad tell you that? That Jesus is going to come to Missouri? That is a belief of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. That Jesus is going to come to Missouri when he comes back to earth. He's not going to come to Jerusalem. He's going to come to Missouri. That's what Chad told you, and that's what you believe. Objection again. Her beliefs are irrelevant. Sustained. Uh, don't answer that question. Now, when you talk about going to Missouri to see church historical sites, what what do you mean by that? Um, like places that the pioneers had been in Missouri. And the pioneers, you're talking about who? The pioneers of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Those are people who lived in the 1840s? Yes. Uh, they were... Uh, kicked out of the state of Missouri. Is that right? Yes. Objection, Your Honor. Those are facts, not in evidence. Sustain. So which church historical sites did you visit? Um, Adam on Diamond, and uh, they went to Liberty Jail, 
and I don't know if they went to any others. So what does Adam Andai Amen mean? Um, it means a place where Adam lived. Adam, as in Adam and Eve of yes. Old Testament. He lived in Missouri in uh, a place called Adam Andai Amen. Yes. All right. And then you went to, you say, <clears throat> you went to the temple in Missouri with Lori and Melanie Pedro. Uh, which temple is that? The Kansas City Temple. Okay. And then you went to Liberty Jail. What are you talking about when you say that? Uh, Liberty Jail is a place where Joseph Smith was in jail. And, and why is that significant? Objection, Your Honor, relevance. Well, it came up indirect, so I'll overrule that for now, but it does need to go towards a relevant point, Mr. Archibald. You said you went there for a church historical site. That's a place where Joseph Smith was in jail uh, while being punished by the people in Missouri. Is that right? Yes. And then in October of 2019, when you're in, in Missouri, uh, you, you were with them when they did another casting. This time not with Charles, but with Tammy, right? Yes. And, it, and so this casting in this hotel room, you and two other ladies, uh, what do you do? You, you, you say you prayed to Jesus. Uh, what, was there other prayers to Jesus to get rid of evil spirits in Tammy? I guess I don't know what you mean. Um, I said a prayer to Heavenly Father ask, and saying that I didn't know what was going on or if there was something. Okay. But that he would help. You wanted to help Tammy. Yes. And you you believed that saying a prayer to Heavenly Father uh, would help Tammy get rid of her evil spirit. But if there was something going on that God knew, and asking for him to help, if there was something. Okay. And... Uh, and so, uh, uh, were you and Lori and Melanie holding hands similar to what you did in the Utah hotel for Charles? No, I don't think so. Okay. Now, sometime during this summer of 2019, you also heard the term zombies. Uh, had you ever heard that before other than in uh, scary movies? No. Uh, and did that term come from Chad Daybell? I don't know who it came from. At the time, it seemed like it came from her. 
Okay. And did Lori say this is something that Chad has taught? I don't remember her saying that. And how about the light or the dark scale? Um, had you heard of that before? No. And is that something that came from Chad Daybell? Yes. And that was his way of predicting uh, if you're if you're good or if you're bad. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Yes. Is that also a way of predicting if you're gonna uh, live or die? No. Okay, it was just good or bad. Yes. Right. And what what was your score? I don't remember. <laughs> uh, was it a good score? Uh, yes, it like good, yeah. Yeah. So uh, Chad Daybell said you have a good score. Yes. Uh, you don't remember the number, but you remember thinking, oh, that's good. Mm-hmm. Right? Yes. So all of these times that you were <clears throat> doing castings for Charles and then Tammy, did you ever think, someone is in danger, I better call the cops? No, um, not until at the end when I, when I dissolved the friendship and I felt like I could be in danger. So you dissolved the friendship when? When I like when I left Idaho. Okay. So you had been to Utah with them, Arizona, Missouri, Hawaii. Uh, during those four states, hanging out on the beach, going to seminars. You didn't feel like this is weird. You were okay with it. Hanging out on the beach? Didn't you guys go to the beach in Hawaii? Yes. Um, I didn't think that was weird, hanging out at the beach. Well, yeah. They were friends. You were, you were having friends, fun with your friends on the beach in Hawaii, right? Yes, but it was uncomfortable because they were talking all the time about zombies and about Melanie's kids. And so uh, you felt so uncomfortable around them after Hawaii that instead of going home to Missouri, you went to Idaho with them. I wanted to go home to Missouri. But they made you buy a ticket to Idaho instead of Missouri. No. Okay. But I have a big heart. And I didn't want Melanie to be alone because she said she was going through a hard time. Because you were a friend. You were a friend of Melanie Bedreau, right? I had only met her briefly before that. Like, the first time I met her was when she came to Missouri. But as I said, I have a big heart and try to help those around me. Yeah. Do uh, you 
And that's what a friend does, is you, you wanted to help your friends, right? Until I didn't think they were friends. Yeah. And uh, that's why you went to the Rexburg Temple in Idaho uh, with Chad and Lori and Melanie. It's because they were your friends, right? They asked me if I wanted to go anywhere, and I said I wanted to go to the temple. And the temple is a place where you can worship God. Yes. And be with your friends. To serve others. Yeah. And that's why you went to the temple with them, right? The temple is a place of peace. Yeah. And so uh, when you went to the temple... Uh, with Chad and Lori and Melanie, uh, that could have been why they went to the temple too, right? It could have been. Yeah. All right, thank you. All right, that'll conclude the cross-examination then. Ms. Rawlings, would you like to conduct redirect? Yes, briefly, Your Honor. Audrey, you want to clarify some things. Um, I think counsel asked you if you were in five states with Chad and Lori. Chad wasn't with you in Hawaii, right? That's correct. And he wasn't there in Missouri? No, he was not. Okay. And so when you were participating in these castings or these circles or however we want to describe them, who, whose hotel rooms were they taking place in? Theirs. And when you say theirs? Lori's. So it was Lori's? Yes. And she was the one who talked to you about that, right? Yes. And she's the one who told you the person that the casting needed to be done on, right? Yes. She organized it? Yes. She picked the target? Yes. Now, um, the one on Charles in Utah, I think I asked you if you heard that he died later. Is that right? Yes. He was killed. Yes. And then uh, there was one a attack, casting conducted on Tammy, right? Yes. And then she died. Yes. Okay. And I think, um, well, I mean, they were working on their own doing those things. Yeah. I think um, defense counsel kind of asked you, about this friendship and and why you terminated it, terminated it, and you said um, that you were scared, scared or in fear. Why was that? Because of a conversation. And who was the conversation with? Lori. Did she make threats to you? She did. What did she say?
What threats did she make to you? Your Honor, I think this is outside. She threatened to kill me. I'd object. Hold on just a minute. It came up on cross-examination, so it's within the scope of cross and proper redirect. Uh, Ms. Rollins, you can re-ask the question. What's the time and place of this conversation? And I think, Audra, you indicated this was when when defense counsel asked you why you ended the friendship, and that was in what month? In October 2019. Okay. Yes, I had already made plans to leave because I prayed about it. And it felt like I needed to leave and end the friendship. And I was leaving early the next morning. And Lori and I were the only ones in the home, in her place at the time. And I told her that I was going to go upstairs and pack my bag and just go to bed early because I didn't want to spend more time with her. And as I went to go and do that, I asked her the question, is there anything weird going on that I don't know about? And she said, no, what do you mean? And I said, I don't know anything. And she said, no. So I took her to word because I'm a trusting person. And she's, as soon as I turned to start to go up the stairs, she started laughing, the kind of laugh as if you're laughing at someone or thinks something's hilarious. And she said to me, you're so naive and too trusting. You're like a little child. You'll believe anything anyone would tell you. She said, you think the world is all unicorns and rainbows. You go around helping people and serving them. Well, I've got news for you. Not everyone's a good person. And not everyone can afford to be so nice and kind. And then she said that she... So I want to just focus on what threats she made to you. She threatened to kill me. Okay. Did she say how? Yes. She said, she said that she would cut me up. And something about that she wasn't in the mental place to do that, but that she would get herself in that place to be able to do it that she didn't want to have to because it would be so messy and there would be so, so much blood and the, the bleach and something about trash bags and that, she, and that she would bury me worse she where no one would ever find me I don't think I have any other questions, Your Honor. Thank you. All right, Ms. Rawlings. <laughs> you may, Mr. Archibald. Uh, 
So this uh, diabolical conversation that you're having with Lori in October of 2019, was this uh, in Idaho? Yes. You'd been with her previously in October of 2019 in Missouri, right? Yes. You'd been with Lori previously in October of 2019 in Hawaii, right? Yes. And then you'd been, then you've followed Lori from Hawaii to Idaho in October of 2019, right? Yes. And then uh, you decide it's time to go home to Missouri. I'm sorry. I didn't follow her. I did not follow Lori. Okay. Uh, you just happened to go from one state where you were vacationing with her to her place where she lived. But you're saying that's not false. Objection fall. argumentative. That's sustained. So this conversation in Idaho is before you go to the temple or after you go to the temple? After. And um, so you're saying she starts laughing and talks about unicorns and rainbows and that she would cut me up and put me in trash bags. So, yeah, she mentioned trash bags. Uh, why? Objection calls for speculation. Overruled. Did she ever say, I killed my kids and I'm going to kill you too? Objection she beyond the scope. Overruled. No, I knew nothing about her children. Right. She Did she say, I killed Charles and I'll kill you too? She didn't talk about Charles. Nothing like that, right? She brought up being at the scene, watching someone take their last breaths. And you have previously testified under oath, swearing an oath that you'll tell the truth, you have previously testified at a grand jury hearing. Do you remember that? Yes. Do you remember taking an oath to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth? Do you remember that? Yes. And do you remember your testimony that you did not say anything like this? I was scared, and she had said that if you ever tell anyone... I'll come and find you in the dark of night. So you now want the jury to believe that even though you previously testified under oath and nothing of this sort was talked about, that you come here today and say you are so scared, that's why you didn't previously testify about it. Objection, Your Honor. Argumentative. It's overruled. What was your question? You want the jury to believe that you did just didn't make this last crap up I did not make it up but you acknowledge that you did not say this when you previously testified in support of probable cause right yes Chad okay. and Lori. thank you your honor can I just ask one follow-up question uh, no miss Rawlings that's uh, been through a redirect and recross and so that will conclude the testimony of this particular witness.
All right, we're going to take our mid-morning recess at this point. Let's take uh, 30 minutes, and we'll come back on for additional evidence at about 10.40. Before we do that, let me ask if the witness is under subpoena and can be ex excused. We would request that she be released, Your Honor. All right, any objection? No objection. Okay. Uh, Ms. Baratario, you can be released then from your subpoena. We'll be on recess, and we'll come back in 30 minutes. All right, please. <laughs> Thank you. Please be seated. Okay, we're back on the record. CR 22211624, State of Idaho versus Lori Noreen Vallow. The state's continuing its case in chief. Is there another witness to call this morning? Yes, Your Honor. Will that be? It will be Detective Vincent Kaikamanu. Okay, uh, we'll go ahead and have the jurors brought in and then you can call your witness. Thank you, Mr. Bailiff. Please be seated.
All right, from the state, who will be calling the next witness? I will be, Your Honor. Okay, Ms. Blake, you can call your next witness. Uh, Detective Vincent Kaikamanu. Before we get started with testimony, uh, Detective Kaya Kamanu, have you viewed any of the trial testimony in this case in any way, read it, or listened to it since the trial started? I have not. Okay, thank you for that. When you're being questioned, please talk directly into the mic, use verbal responses for questions, and please don't talk over the top of any attorney questioning you so we can keep a clear record. With that in mind, Ms. Blake, if you'd like to inquire on direct, you may. Thank you, Your Honor. Would you please state your name and spell it for the record? Vincent Keone Kayakamayo. Last is K-A-A-I-A-K-A-M-A-N-U. Where are you currently employed? Fremont County Sheriff's Office. How long have you been employed there? 18 years. What is your current title and or position? I'm currently a sergeant over the detective division and our school resource officers. Have you held prior positions within the Fremont County Sheriff's Office? I have. Uh, before moving over to the detective division, I was a supervisor over patrol division. Um, before that, I also worked in our jail. <clears throat> Do you have any specialized training in order to be a peace officer? do. I attended the Idaho Post Standards and Training. Um, I went through several other trainings that included um, homicide trainings, child sex cases, um, narcotics investigation. I also hold a certificate in my um, advanced certificate, my intermediate certificate, my supervisor certificate, and um, command training certificate. Do you recall receiving a phone call on in the early morning hours of October 19th of 2019? I do. Who called you? That morning, I actually missed the call uh, from Detective or Deputy Greenhalge. Um, once I noticed I missed the call, I called her back. And was that call about an unattended death? Yes. Did you learn who the decedent was? Yes, I did. And who was that? Tamara Daybell. And can you tell us why Deputy Greenalch had reached out to you? So that night I was the on-call detective, and that's why she gave me a call. And you say you'd missed the call. Was there a reason that you missed the initial call? Earlier that night around 11 o'clock, um, I was called out to assist Idaho Falls PD in an officer-involved shooting. I was down there till about 4.30. Uh, once I got done with that, came home and fell asleep and missed her call. Did you call her back shortly after that? It was approximately about an hour and a half. 
When you did reach her, do you know if she'd already been in contact with another detective with Fremont County? She had. She had been in contact with Detective Mattingly. And do you both take calls uh, when you're not on duty? Yes. And you indicated that you were down assisting with an investigation in an officer-involved shooting. Do you also assist other agencies as part of your job duties? I do. When the deputy called you that night, uh, was that standard procedure at the time or common practice? It was common practice, yes. Did she indicate anything to you regarding there being any suspicious circumstances surrounding the death of Tamara Daybell at that time? At that time, she did not. When I got a hold of her, um, she had already informed me that she talked to Detective Mattingly as well. Um, I asked her if there's anything out of the ordinary at the house, if Tammy Daybell's body was um, anything suspicious with it, if there's any forced entry into the house. She informed me there was not. She also informed me that there were two coroners on scene as well. And um, again, she had already talked to detect Detective Mattingly before myself. Had you heard Tammy Daybell's name prior to receiving that phone call from the deputy? No. Later on, well, let me back up. At some point, are you aware if an investigation was started into the circumstances surrounding Tammy Daybell's death? After her death, yes, I, I was made aware. And the investigation was not started immediately after her death, is that correct? Correct. Do you know approximately when Fremont County Sheriff's Office began investigating Tam Tammy Daybell's death? I believe uh, Fremont County Sheriff's Office got involved approximately the end of October 2019. So at least a few weeks after her, or a few weeks after her death, approximately? Yes. Were you personally involved at the beginning of the investigation? I was not. At what point did you become personally involved in the investigation? I got involved um, the end of March of 2020. When you became involved in the investigation, are you aware if there were other related investigations being conducted by other agencies? I was. And what were those uh other investigations regarding? Um, I was made aware of an investigation on the attempted shooting of Brandon Boudreaux out of Gilbert, Arizona. I was also made aware of two missing kids, JJ and Tylee, um, and that investigation was also underway. And I may have missed it, but were you also aware of an investigation involving the death of Charles Vallow? Yes, I was with Chandler PD. Would it be fair to say that this became a joint investigation? Yes. Did you also assist in the investigation regarding the missing children? I did. During your investigation, did you learn of a prior incident involving Tammy Daybell that occurred on October 9th of 2019? I did. 
And what did you learn regarding that? Um, once I got involved with this investigation um, and looking further into other reports, I was made aware of an attempted shooting on Tammy Daybell. And that had occurred on October 9th of 2019? Correct. Were you personally involved in that investigation? I did not respond to that, no. As part of your investigation into the death of Tammy Daybell, did you review that incident? I did. As part of your duties and involvement in the investigation, did you also review some documents that were um, recovered from a device belonging to Tammy Daybell? Can you re-ask that? Yes. As part of your investigation, did you were you involved or did you review some documents recovered linked to Tammy's phone and or her email account? I did. And do you recall reviewing a message that Tammy Daybell had sent to her son, Mark Daybell? I did review that, yes. And, Your Honor, I'd ask that the court and the witness be handed States Exhibit 291. Defense should have a copy. I have a copy here for the witness to review for the court and a courtesy copy for Your Honor. All right, thank you. And if you would look that over, I think uh, it may start at the bottom of the first page and continue on. Okay, yeah. Do you recognize that message? I do. Have you seen it before? I have. Your Honor, the state would move for the admission of State's Exhibit 291. Any objection? Yes, Your Honor, may I have here? Yes. <clears throat> so uh, as far as this Exhibit 291, how did you come into contact with this exhibit? I came in contact with this exhibit through a warrant that I did on Tamara Daybell's email. Okay. And you used this exhibit during the course of your investigation? I... Not this exact exhibit, no. Okay. Judge, I'm going to object that he doesn't have personal knowledge of it, and it's not proper to bring it in under with him. And, Your Honor, if I may respond. Yes. I believe it's actually, and I should have probably clarified this, I believe it's already been admitted under State's Exhibit 108, which was the admission of the email linked to Tammy Daybell. This is simply an extraction from that exhibit and has been provided its own exhibit number. Then I would object to it being cumulative. And, Your Honor, it has not been testified to. It's simply been provided as part of a global exhibit. And as to the first objection by him, I think the detective has identified this as a message he reviewed. Um, he simply, this was reviewed as part of a phone extraction, which we simply can't pull over, uh, that we couldn't bring in the exact phone extraction. So it's a copy of that. All right. I'll need a moment, I think, to review what is Exhibit 108. Can you explain a little more about what? 108 is? 108 was um, done with a business record certificate, is my understanding, and it contains the email, the information retrieved from that email search warrant that the officer referenced, that the detective referenced. All right. So give me just a moment, please. 
And I was just clarifying with co-counsel. So the 108 is the business record certification for those documents that were provided to defense in discovery. We do have a 108A that has been provided. This was given its own exhibit number of 291, but it could be 108B. It's under that same business record certification. Judge, I'll just renew my objection that it's cumulative. If we need to use 108, then we should use 108. And again, to clarify, 108 was only the business record certification, not the full records being admitted. I believe we did done the certificates in order to be able to admit portions of those without admitting the full record. 108 corresponds to the Fitbit information. It should also reference tammy.daybell at gmail.com as the email. Apologies, but let me have a brief sidebar with counsel if I can. All right, thanks, counsel. The court was able to clarify with counsel and review Exhibit 108, which has previously been admitted, which is the Affidavit of Records Custodian. Contained within 108 also is the records for the email address that corresponds with the proposed Exhibit 291. Having considered that foundation that's already in the record through 108, I've considered the objection of the defense, and that will be overruled, and Exhibit Number 291 is admitted. And, Your Honor, I would actually ask that the witness be allowed to keep that exhibit momentarily. The 291? Yes, the 291. I'd ask that he have to turn it over. I don't want him referring to it and reading from it if he's not going to. I don't want him testifying from it, I guess. Your Honor, I was going to ask that he read an excerpt from it. I can publish it to the jury, I guess, and have him read from that. I think that would be more appropriate, Ms. Blake, then, if you want to publish it. Thank you. 
Detective, can you see that on the screen in front of you? Yes. And referencing the bottom, can you read into the record who this message is being sent from and who it's being sent to? This message is sent from Tammy.Daybell at gmail.com. Tammy Daybell sent to Mark.Daybell at missionary.org. Mark Daybell. Time stamped 10-13-2019 at 2-38-18. And can you also see that on the screen? Yes. And is this a portion of that email? Yes. And could you uh, read that into the record, starting with the now? Now, on the same day, I was coming home from clogging. It was about yeah, night. I object. I think we need some context as to who's speaking, who's writing this, what's going on. Your Honor, he already indicated who the message was being sent from and who it was being sent to. Yeah, the objections overruled. You want to go ahead and uh, start again there? Yes. Now, on the same day, I was coming home from clogging. It was about 9.15, and I backed into the front driveway. I was getting some items out of the back seat. We had made freezer meals at enrichment night and my clogging shoes. I realized someone was, at, was by the back of the car. I looked up, thinking it was Dad or Garth, to help me carry stuff in. Nope. It was a guy dressed in black with a ski mask on, pointing a rifle at me. I think I was a bit in shock because I, because I just said, what do you think you were doing? Then I noticed a rifle was actually a paintball gun. It had a hopper on the top. The guy started pulling the trigger, and I could hear just... I could, I could just hear the clicking of a whooshing sound of an empty paintball gun. He stayed standing by the back of the car, just pulling the trigger while pointing the gun at me. For some reason, I just kept asking him what he thought he was doing. At that point, I was actually more annoyed than scared because he was standing between me and the door and he didn't step towards me or even say anything. The scared part came after when my brain thought of what things that could have happened. The thought crossed my mind to hit him with my clogging shoes, but first I looked forward, or t first I looked towards the house and yelled, Chad. The, the guy ran around the house, around the north side of the house. I ran in the house and got Dad and Garth. They looked outside, but we couldn't find him. We called the police and reported it. They suspected they suspect it was a bipolar teenager who lives down the street and walks around a lot. But Matt Price has an even better theory. And I'll have you stop there.
And through your investigation, um, you had reviewed that email? Correct. And that appears to be, in Tammy's own words, a description of the events of October 9th, 2019? Correct. When you were looking into this investigation, did you end up looking at additional information on from a Homer J. Maximus account? I did. And, Your Honor, I have what's been marked as State's Exhibit 107B, if I can have the court. And I think I'm missing a courtesy copy for Your Honor, so I apologize. Uh, this is going to be a PowerPoint exhibit, so the actual exhibit would be on a jump drive. But if I could have the witness shown a copy, defense has been provided a copy, and there's another copy for the court. And if you could look through those pages. Do you recognize those pages? I do. And did you prepare or assist in preparing those uh, in anticipation of your testimony today? I did. And do they, in fact, summarize some of the work and reviews that you conducted? Yes. Would they aid in your testimony today? Yes. And, Your Honor, I would move for admission of State's Exhibit 107B. Any objection? Yes, Your Honor. I believe that um, uh, Detective Kayakamano is going to use this uh, to not only reference uh, different things in his own knowledge, but he's simply going to read for it from it. This is what the state's been doing in the past. They're publishing these uh, summaries and having the, the detectives or the uh, agents read from these, and I believe that it's improper for the uh, detective to read from an exhibit and refresh his recollection at will uh, because he has it right in front of him that's been published to the jury and and the gallery. All right, response to that, Ms. Blake. Your Honor, if it's an exhibit, that is the purpose of creating the summary exhibit is when there is a, a lot of information and you're going to reference only some of it is to highlight that and to be able to reference it when it's detailed information. We just had the detective read from a summary, or excuse me, from an exhibit that if we'd ask him to memorize that whole thing is just not plausible. And so I think this is exactly why it does aid in the testimony and it is allowed for under the rules. All right, the court's reviewed uh, Idaho Rule of Evidence 1006 and would note that it does provide for the use of summaries uh, if there is contents of voluminous writings which has been established through the foundation. So for that reason, the court uh, will allow for the PowerPoint presentation of 107B, but would note also that it's a demonstrative exhibit and uh, the jury will be instructed as such. Thank you, Your Honor. Permission to publish? You may publish. And 
I think I'd ask, so just to clarify, did you review some search history linked to a Homer J. Maximus account? Yes, I did. Did you determine who is identified as owning or being linked to the Homer J. Maximus account? I did. And who is that? Alex Cox. And through your investigation, did you learn who Alex Cox is or I was? Did. I did. And who is that? Alex Cox is the brother to Lori Vallow Daybell and is also the uncle to JJ and Tylee. And in looking through these searches, were there some searches that stood out to you? There were. And what were some of the searches that stood out? So throughout our investigation, um, this was a... Uh, I'm going to object that he's just going to read directly from the PowerPoint. And Your Honor, I don't even think he started to read from it. He was providing explanation. All right, I'll keep the objection in mind, but you can go ahead and answer the question, Detective. Throughout our investigation, this was an ongoing and um, a joint investigation with several different agencies, Fremont County, Rexburg PD, Arizona, um, and the FBI. <coughs> Throughout the investigation, I learned of the attempted shooting on Brandon Boudreaux. I also learned of the homicide on Charles Vallow. I also learned of the two missing uh, kids, JJ and Tylee. And then uh, Fremont County started their investigation into Tamara Daybell. Looking through Homer J. Maximus and the Google search, there were a couple dates that I, were, I was looking at for my investigation over uh, Tammy Daybell. But while looking through those and having all the, the, the information in my head, these other dates stuck out with me when I saw them. Um, the first date that stuck out was the October 1st. Um, October 1st, Alex Googles the address of the 3875 East Phelp um, in Gilbert, Arizona. This address is known to where Brandon Boudreaux was living at the time. Um, the next day he searches the same address, but he searches directions how to get to that address. This search was done at 7.15 a.m. and later on in the morning Brandon Boudreaux was shot at. And were you able to determine or did you see if that address was ever searched for again uh, related to the Homer J. Maximus records you reviewed? I did not see any other searches after that. And you had talked about some specific dates that you were looking at involving the investigation into, the, um, into Tammy Daybell's death. What were some of the specific dates you were looking at related to Tammy? The specific dates that I was looking at was through October around the 7th, the 8th, and the time of the attempted shooting, and later on. And uh, in talking about that attempted shooting, were there some searches that drew your attention? There were on October, again, in this investigation and, and knowing where Tammy Daybell lives, um, they live in a farm area. Behind their house is a very big open field, a river, several hundred yards behind their house on the east side. 
And um, so looking through Homer J. Maximus on October 8th, it was discovered that Alex had Googled um, 6.5 Grendel drop from 100 to 200 yards and also 100 to 300 yards. This was significant because at the time of my investigation, I felt that Alex was trying to figure out where he needed to be at the time and have an accurate shot on the attempted shooting of Tammy Daybell. Were, and at some point, did you learn or did you review where Alex Cox's data location showed him to be on October 9th, earlier in the day? Yes. on Earlier in the day, Alex Daybell was shown with... And I think, sorry to interrupt, I think you said Alex Daybell. Do you mean correct, Alex Cox? Correction, yes. Alex Cox. His uh, GPS was shown at 437 or 447 heading north on 1900 East in Rexburg, Idaho, which is towards the Daybell residence. Um, once he gets by that residence, which is 200 north, he takes a, a right, which is heading east to Highway 20. Um, once he gets to Highway 20, he turns around and makes that route again around the Daybell residence. Um, this all happens in between the... Uh, the 447 time and the 503 time. During my investigation, what, what I feel that he was doing was scoping out the area of Tamara Daybell's home. Objection. I'm gonna, this is speculative. I, I will sustain that and uh, move to strike. The answer will be stricken, and please discon or don't consider that last response, ladies and gentlemen of the jury. Um, did you know? Did you review any searches conducted on the Homer J. Maximus account for October 9th of 2019? I did. And what, if, what if anything about those caught your attention? Alex Cox on that day also googled uh, how to make a ghillie suit. Um, how or or correction on that date he. Uh, Searched the muzzle energy of a 6.5 Grendel, and now, I'm going to object to him. Pants. I'm going to object to him uh, identifying it. The whoever was making these uh, these uh, uh, these queries uh, as being a specific person. I don't think he can prove that. I don't. I think that's speculative. All right. I, I think there should be a clarification that these were searches uh, attributed to the email, but maybe not that we knew an individual made the searches. Thank you. And just to clarify, these searches were conducted on the Homer J. Maximus account? Correct. And who was that account linked to during your investigation? During my investigation, that account was associated and linked to Alex Cox. Um, and on October 9th, what about the searches conducted on the Homer J. Maximus account caught your attention? On the 9th, it was the muzzle energy of a 6.5 Grindle. It was also the sizing of frog togs, uh, the pants. This was significant. Um, that same day, he, I'm the Homer J. Maximus. I'm objecting to him uh, indicating that it's a specific person. Again, Ms. Blake, if we could just uh, have response, well, he'll make the responses he makes, but clarify that these are attributed to an email. And I think he had just started to do that uh, as the objection was being made. All right. Thank you, Ms. Blake. 
the Homer J. Maximus um, email and the device that that's associated with um, was shown at Sportsman's Warehouse in Idaho Falls. Um, through our investigation, we learned that someone had purchased frog tog pants, flip mitts, and a winter hat that can turn into a mask. And was that purchase made at the same time the Homer J. Maximus, the device linked to Alex, was at the Sportsman's Warehouse? Yes. And then the attempted shooting, in fact, took place on October 9th of 2019. Is that correct? Correct. Did you look at some searches subsequent to that date? After that date on October 9th when I was looking, it stuck out to me. Um, that account of Homer J. Maximus Googled how to prep an AR for cold, how to make your AR function in cold weather, AR cold wet weather operations, how does Hornady one-shot work in cold, is one-shot good lube for an AR-15 in zero degrees, how to prep your AR-15 in winter shooting, how to help your AR load in the cold, do still AR mag rings shrink in the cold. He uh, also did a YouTube search on shooting an AR-15 at 37 degrees below zero. And you reside in the Fremont County area or close by, is that correct? Correct. Are Octobers in Fremont County, do they tend to be cold? They do. Was there anything about this October that you recall uh, with regard to the temperature? On the temperature um, of this day or around this day, it was 26 degrees. Did you find additional searches conducted subsequent to that October 9th attempted shooting? I did. On October 12th, uh, Homer J. Maximus is searching how to, how to attach cover to a ghillie suit. Um, will a Grendel 6.5 shoot through a windshield? FBI simulating shooting a 5.56 through a car door and wall. What caliber will penetrate a windshield? 2008 Dodge Dakota still body thickness. What gauge still are the doors on a Dodge Dakota made of? How thick is 22 gauge still? How to drill baffles to make suppressors? And Your Honor, I'm going to object to all of these answers. They, they have been. He's just been reading from the exhibit. It's not coming from his memory. It's coming from the exhibit. Well, I think there should at least be a reference. I think a summary has been admitted. It's allowed to be referenced, but uh, there needs to be a distinguishing between either personal testimony or simply uh, taking information straight from the exhibit. And those searches are designated on this slide, is that correct? Correct. And they were searches you discovered through your investigation, is that correct? Correct. When we look at those searches, what about some of those stood out to you in this investigation? The ones that stuck out to me were the searches on the Dodge Dakota. Tammy Daybell and Chad Daybell had a 2004 Dodge Dakota registered to them. Tammy Daybell also drove that 2004 Dodge Dakota. 
And do these appear to be searches by someone attempting to figure out what it would take to shoot through a vehicle? Yes. As part of your investigation, did you also review records obtained from the Fremont County Sportsman's Club gun range? I did. Were you able to determine if anything linked Alex, Alex Cox to having gone to that Sportsman's Club? Yes, Alex Cox went to the Sportsman's Club in St. Anthony, Idaho, which is a gun range, um, five times through October 7th through the 15th. He never signed in as his name on Alex Cox on the sign-on sheet. He did sign in with it. I'm going to object to speculation, Judge. And I can ask some clarifying questions, Your Honor. Okay, thank you, Ms. Blake. We see on this slide that we're referencing by there's a date and a time and then C. Quint. Did you, were you able to determine what the relevance of C. Quint? The relevance of C. Quint is the license plate um, except one letter to Alex Cox's vehicle. And are you aware during the investigation of location data placing Alex Cox's device at the Sportsman's Club on these same dates? Yes. At some point, did you review or obtain some firearms that were recovered from the apartment complex where Alex Cox was known to reside? I did. Were you involved in the initial search, the execution of the initial search warrant recovering those? I was not. Did that, in fact, occur prior to your involvement in the investigation? Yes. At some point, did you observe firearms that were recovered during that search? I did. Did you, and what, if anything, did you do in relation to those firearms? Those firearms were um, taken from the warrant that was served at those residents for safekeeping. Uh, Rexburg PD could not leave those there. Um, throughout our investigation, um, it was determined that possibly the attempted shooting on Tammy, um, and after having those weapons or those firearms in Rexburg PD, I obtained a warrant to seize those weapons for evidence. And did you, in fact, seize those weapons? I did. And have and have they been kept in the at the Fremont County Sheriff's Office? Yes. Until recently, some yes. of them may be being held in evidence here in Boise. Correct. Were those, were those, were certain of the guns of more significance to you uh, with regard to this investigation? Yes. Did you photograph some of those firearms? I did. Do you believe if you were shown a photograph that's purported to depict some of those firearms that you would, that you would recognize it? Yes. Your Honor, I would ask that the witness be shown and 
shall have them shown to exhibits 281A and B. And defense already has copies of these. And there's a courtesy copy for your honor. And you've been shown two photographs. Do you recognize those? I do. Are those an accurate depiction of the firearms that were seized from that apartment complex? They are. Did you, in fact, take these photographs? These ones I did not, no. Were you present when they were taken? Yes. And you can recognize those? Yes. Your Honor, I would ask for the admission of States Exhibit 281B and 281A. Any objection? Yes, Your Honor. May I have one here? Yes. <clears throat> so these two firearms, are they here in Ada County now in the evidence locker? The two that are here are the ones on the, the two on the, that are taken together, yes. Okay. Um, Your Honor, I think that we need to, rather than having a photograph of these firearms, if he's going to testify about them, uh, I need, I would like the court to, uh, the jury to be able to see what they look like and to see them actually in the courtroom response and your honor I think it's up to the state how we present evidence and a photograph depicting an actual item is sufficient evidence well it, it, uh, may I speak judge go ahead uh, what I think is going to happen is that he's going to akin these to being some sort of a paintball gun or being uh, being mistaken for a paintball gun and I think the jury needs to see exactly what these things look like, how heavy they are. Those, there's, there's certain things that you just can't depict in a photograph. All right. Mr. Thomas, I'll take the objection under advisement. I'm, I'm going to allow for the admission. There's been sufficient foundation of 281A. 281B will be admitted if the defense feels that uh, as part of your defense you want to have the actual evidence uh, observed by the jurors. Uh, we'll consider that on cross-examination. Very good, Your Honor. We just ask that the court uh, inform the state that they need to bring that up because we will be asking for that. Very well. And before we do that, counsel, I'll need to have a meeting with counsel, likely on a break, to discuss the protocols we have for firearms in the courtroom. Very good. And, Your Honor, the state has retained the original exhibit. Uh, may I please publish that for the jurors? Yes. Or I should say exhibits. Uh, first, I'll publish State's Exhibit 281B. And are those uh, several of the firearms that were retrieved? Yes. What was it about these particular firearms that drew your attention? The one that drew our attention was the bottom one, which is the Alexander Arms, Grindel 6.5. If I publish dates, Exhibit 281A. Is that the one that you were talking about? Or was it the top one? No, that is not the one I was talking about. 
that bottom one right there, the black one. And what particularly was it about that firearm that drew your attention? When Tammy Daybell first called in the attempted shooting, um, she described the rifle as a paintball gun. Out of the firearms that were seized at the residence and after looking at all the firearms, um, this one stuck out because it has a larger scope on it, which could be mistaken as a hopper, which Tammy described. And a hopper is something on a paintball gun? Correct. A hopper is on a paintball gun that holds the paintballs inside of it. Do you have experience shooting paintball guns? I do. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Um, growing up, used to shoot them all the time. We also use them currently in SWAT trainings and um, room clearing that the guns that we have that, you, that we use for training are very identical to an AR-15 setup, which is close to this. Um, also has a hopper on it, and that's my experience with them. Are you also familiar with AR-15s? Yes. And can you tell us a little bit about your experience with those? Experience with those is training throughout my law enforcement career and shooting them prior to. Um, <clears throat> they have, you can put several different accessories on them and optics on them. If I may have just a moment, Your Honor. You may. Your Honor, may we have a brief sidebar? Yes. All right, thank you, Counsel. You can continue with your direct display. And the other photo we looked at that was not the gun in question, was that another firearm that was retrieved from uh, the search at the apartments associated with Alex Cox? Yes. And you've talked about uh, your experience with paintball guns. Uh, Your Honor, I'm going to ask that the witness be shown State's Exhibit 282. I have a courtesy copy for the court. I'll hang on to the original briefly, and defense counsel already has a copy. Very well. Do you recognize what's just been shown to you? I do. And do you recognize the uh, first image depicted there? I do. And is that the firearm that you've been referencing? Yes, that is the Alexander Arms Grendel 6.5. And the second item there, do you recognize that image? I do. And uh, what would that be depicting? That is a Tipman paintball gun. And that is just an example of one, correct? Correct. That was not recovered from anywhere? It was not. Your Honor, I would move for the admission of states Exhibit 282 as a demonstrative exhibit. Any objection? Yes, Your Honor. Uh, it's inflammatory. It is. Uh, it does not depict um, what was actually seen that night. There's no way of knowing that. 
Um, there's been no foundation as to uh, what paintball gun was used that night, uh, or if if any at all. I mean, it's just it's just inflammatory, and it's it's more prejudicial than probative at this point, even as a demonstrative exhibit. And your honor, if I may respond. Go ahead. Um, we did actually hear a description of the firearm in that email sent from Tammy to her son, specifically repre uh, referencing a hopper. We've heard testimony from the detective regarding a hopper on a paintball gun, his experience with them, his experience with AR-15s and the likeness. In addition, we've clearly established that this is not a, that the bottom one is not a firearm that was recovered and that it is simply for demonstrative purposes. All right, the court has considered uh, this proposed exhibit under Rule 403, and having considered that rule, I am going to sustain the objection that I'm not going to permit the uh, admission of, rule, of Exhibit 282 as a demonstrative exhibit as it could uh, cause prejudice or confusion. Uh, so for that reason, the objection is sustained, and that will not be admitted. Thank you. Detective, again, uh, you do have experience with using paintball guns and AR-15s? Correct. And there are similarities between the two? Correct. Um, specifically, I think you referenced a hopper on a paintball gun? Correct. And what part of an AR-15 would that be similar to? Uh, the, again, I go back to you can put several different accessories on an AR-15 and a rifle. You can put scopes on there, optics. Um, things like that. And was there something like that on the AR-15 recovered uh, in the residence or in the apartment complex linked to Alexander Cox? On the Alexander Arms Grinnell 6.5, yes, there was. And I'm going to move forward a little bit, and we'll circle back to some of these uh, other questions a little bit later. Through your investigation, did you learn of or review an email that was sent from Charles to Tammy? I did. And would that be Charles Vallow? Correct. Did you also review or uh, obtain an email sent from Charles to Chad Daybell? I did. And what were those emails referencing, if you recall? The email that was sent to... Tamara Daybell from Charles Vallow was in regards to Charles was aware of a possible um, cheating going on between his wife and Chad Daybell, and he would like to meet with her and talk with her to, to discuss that. He didn't want to send all that information in an email. Were you ever able to determine through your investigation if Tammy ever actually read that email? I was not. So to this day, you do not know or have not been able to determine if that was actually read by her or not? That is correct. And then the email from Charles to Chad, do you recall uh, the content or the gist of that email? The email from Charles Vallow to Chad Daybell was sent on the same day, and... It was in regards to Chad needed to stop talking to his wife, Lori, and um, tell his wife, Tammy, what was going on. And those emails were sent prior to October 18th or 19th of 2019? Correct. 
And moving forward a little bit, did you end up conducting or requesting a geofence warrant for several locations um, at some point in your investigation? I did. What locations did you request those warrants for or that warrant for? The two locations that I requested a geofence warrant was for 202 North, 1900 East, which is Tamara and Chad Daybell's residence. The second geofence that I asked for was at 3462 North Salem Highway, which is the LDS church just down from the Daybell residence. And what date range did you request on that warrant? From October 18th into October 19th, 2019. Did you request a certain perimeter? I did. I requested 150 meters perimeter. And did you request the 150 meters for each location? Correct. And with regard to it, and was that warrant actually granted? It was. Did you receive responsive documents? I did. Did you review those? I did. When you get a res when you get responsive documents on a geofence warrant, can you talk us through a little bit about the process from there or what you did? When we get a signed warrant from the judge granting us that, um, law enforcement needs to go onto the Google website and go into their law enforcement portal. At that time, the warrant is entered into their law enforcement portal and uh, Google will respond with any information that is granted on that warrant. Um, once I got the information back from Google, it came back with what's called a Google identification number. And when you get those Google identification numbers, what, if anything, are you looking for or do you do with that information? So when we get the Google identification numbers, that number does not tell us who that number is associated with or who that number belongs to on a device. We then have to write another warrant for those numbers to Google with the same process, and Google is able to tell off those numbers what device that's connected to and who is associated with that device. Were there certain Google identifier numbers that you ended up requesting additional information for? There was. There was four. And why did you request for those four? What were you looking for with those Google identifiers? So when I first got the, the Google identifiers back on my first warrant, I met with Detective Stubbs with Rexburg PD. Um, we had gone through those numbers and went through the two geofences that were requested and went down and scaled it down from numbers that had been going through the first geofence into the second geofence. Those numbers were then taken and another warrant was, was wrote. During that process, I was informed by Detective Stubbs that he had already, he had recognized a number off of my geofence warrant. Um, that number, he had previously wrote a warrant, which was associate, associated with um, Homer J. Maximus, which returned to uh, Alex Cox. With regard to the four that you followed up on, did you determine there was any connection in relation to your investigation? 
on the numbers that I received? The ones not linked to the Homer J. Maximus account? I guess let me back up and ask it this way. With those four numbers, did you do any follow-up? I did. And based on your follow-up, did you determine that those numbers had any connection to your investigation? Yes, and they did not. Did you actually speak with the individuals or determine why they would have been in that area? Uh, two of them I did speak with. Uh, the third one I could not get a hold of. I did do some research on Facebook and found out where he lived and, and ended at that because I couldn't get a hold of him. And did he live within the vicinity of where these uh, geofence warrants were being conducted? He did. He lived north of the Daybell residence off of Trapper Lane. And with the geofence warrant, do you know what kind of data that it, that's looking at, whether it's GPS, Wi-Fi, or cellular? The geofence warrant goes off of wireless information and GPS information. So it does not include the cell data information? does not, that I'm aware of. And you indicated that Detective Stubbs recognized one of those Google identifiers as belonging to Alex, or as belonging to a device associated or an account associated with Alex Cox. Is that correct? Correct. Did you do further investigation to determine, well, I'll back up, do you, which location was that device? You said you did a warrant for two different locations. Which location was the device associated with Alex Cox showing at? That device was shown at the Salem Church. Were you able to determine approximately what time frame that device was showing as being there? That device was shown at the Salem Church at 10.07 p.m. on October 18, 2019. At some point, uh, do you, could, were you able to determine uh, the last point or data point for that device at the Salem Church? That device was shown there from 10.07 p.m. to 10.45 p.m. And then at that point, did you have any other hits or data points within the vicinity of your search warrant for that device? I did not. Did you, through your investigation, learn of another data point later that night associated with that device? Yes, um, at 11.53 p.m., that device, or Homer J. Maximus, connected to a device, was later picked up on Wi-Fi seven minutes away on Highway 20 from the Salem Church. Through your Google search warrant, or the geofence, did you locate Chad a device associated with Chad Daybell in either location? I did not. Through your investigation, did you learn of or review statements made by Chad Daybell as to his whereabouts on the night of October 19th into the morning hours of, or October 18th into the morning hours of October 19th? Through other inter interviewers and deputies, Chad Daybell was, had made statements that he was at home. And yet none of his devices were showing within the geofence. Correct. Do you know when Tammy's funeral was held? Tammy's funeral was held on October 22nd, 2019.
within approximately three days after she was pronounced dead? Correct. Do you know where that funeral was held? Springville, Utah. Through your investigation, did you learn or determine if Tammy had any life insurance policies? She did. How many policies did she have? Three or two. And do you know who the beneficiary was? Chad Baybell. And when you say three, were there three different amounts referenced across two policies? There was uh, Primerica, Life Map, and then Idaho Percy. So the Idaho Percy was the third one? Correct. Which is a retirement? Correct. Was Chad Daybell the beneficiary of all of those? Yes. Through your investigation, did you determine if the life insurance paid out? Yes. And who did they pay out to? Chad Daybell. Are you aware if Chad Daybell has pending charges for insurance fraud? He does. Do you know where those are pending? He has two counts of insurance fraud out of Fremont County. And, Your Honor, I think uh, with the additional questions I have for this witness, we discussed in a sidebar maybe breaking and reconvening with uh, additional questions after lunch. Okay. We will go ahead and take our lunch recess at this time. Uh, we will try to get started again just before 1 o'clock, probably um, 1250 or Thank you. Please be seated. <coughs> All right, I think we're ready to have the jurors brought back in, Mr. Bailiff.
All right, thank you, Mr. Bailiff. Please be seated. <clears throat> All right, we're back on the record on case CR 22-21-1624, State of Idaho versus Lori Noreen Vallow. Completed the lunch break. Jurors are all present and accounted for. Uh, Detective Kaya Kamanu is on the standstill. I'll remind the witness here under oath. And the state is continuing its direct examination, I believe, at this time. Yes, Your Honor. All right, Ms. Blake, if you'd like to continue with direct, you may. Thank you, Your Honor. Detective Kayakamanu, we had talked about some guns that were retrieved from the apartment complex where Alex Cox was residing. Do you recall that? Yes. And one gun in particular seemed to draw the most attention from you. Is that correct? That's correct. And what type of firearm was that again? That was the Alexander Arms Grendel 6.5. And do you believe if you were shown that firearm again, you would recognize it? Yes. Your Honor, I believe that we do have the firearm here, if we could have it brought into the courtroom. I believe it's State's Exhibit 280. Exhibit 280? I believe it's 280. All right. I'll make sure to have the detective properly identify it to make sure I have the correct exhibit number. All right. We'll have the firearm brought into the courtroom as we're doing that. Let me just advise you, ladies and gentlemen of the jury, um, any firearms that are offered into evidence in the case, we'll make sure are unloaded. There's no ammunition anywhere in the courtroom for any firearms that would be admitted into evidence. The firearms also, uh, steps have been taken to render them inoperable. I'll have the bailiff explain that a little bit more once the firearms brought in here. Uh, the firearms will not be handled at any point by the jurors, either during trial or during deliberations, but may be available for inspection with the assistance of law enforcement. And with that in mind, we'll have the law enforcement bring in the firearm that would be State's Exhibit 280. And Your Honor, I believe there may be two more items with that, um, and I can get those exhibit numbers. Okay. And Your Honor, um, may the witness leave the stand to review those items, or do you want them handed to him? I think it would be best if he did step down and just personally review the items and then can return to the stand for foundational questions. 
So, Detective, if you'd like to step down, you can go ahead and observe the items there on the table. And there are three items there. I believe the other two are going to be State's Exhibits 278 and 279, but I will have the detective identify those first, what they are. All right. So the gun itself is 280, is that correct? Is that, in fact, the AR-15? And I can have him say that into the mic if the court would like, but yes, so that would be Exhibit 280. Okay. And what did you identify that firearm as? So that firearm right there is the Alexander Arms Grindle 6.5 with a Vortex scope on it. And did you see the other item sitting next to it? I did. And could you identify what those are? Those are solvent traps that um, were drilled into to make a homemade suppressor. Were those also recovered during the search of the apartment uh, complex associated with Alex Cox? They were. And were those uh, seized by Fremont County? They were first seized by Rexburg T PD for safekeeping, and then Fremont County uh, seized them on a search warrant, yes. And they've remained in the custody of Fremont County? Yes. Uh, and is that, in fact, the firearm that we saw in a photo earlier? Yes. And again, you went over your experience with paintball guns and your experience with AR-15s. And I don't know if, if the witness could step down to point out some things with regard to that firearm or if we'd like it held up for him to do that. Let's get to the detail of uh, getting these admitted into evidence. Your Honor, given the identification by the detective, the state would move for their admission. All right. Any objection to Exhibit 280, which is the gun? If I may, Vaudier and aid. You can board iron. <clears throat> Detective, these are, this is the gun that's in the cardboard box, correct, that, that you seized from Alex Cox's apartment? That was seized from Alex Cox's apartment. All right, and you know that to be the the gun that was seized from his apartment. You said you're a bit. I guess what I'm saying is you you weren't there when it was seized. Correct, I was not there. All right, but based on your uh, collective knowledge within the police department, you believe that to be the same gun that was seized from Alex's apartment. Correct. All right, and you identified states 278 and 279 as being. I couldn't. Re I, I couldn't really hear what you called them. Baffles or solvent traps. Baffles or solvent traps. Okay, what what is that? Uh, from my knowledge, a baffle is a, a device that could be used to make uh, suppressors for a firearm. Is it just a piece of metal? From my understanding, yes. Okay, so those are just two pieces of metal that you found in with or near the gun that was seized at the house. Correct. Okay, I have no objection, Judge. Okay, so exhibits. 280 and 278 and 279 are all admitted. And so, Ms. Blake, you can continue with your direct. Thank you, Your Honor. And I don't know if there's a mic or a way for the detective to be able to step down to identify some things with regard to that firearm for okay. the jury. We'll get him a wireless mic. Thank you, Your Honor. And while we're waiting for that, um, you talked about those pieces of metal. Would those also be uh, referred to as silencers? Correct. 
in common lingo? Yeah, they could be. And if you could step down and approach the, that Exhibit 280. And you had described earlier your experience with paintball guns and the AR-15s, correct? Correct. When you're looking at that, you talked about a hopper on a paintball gun and something on an AR that could look similar. Does this AR, in fact, have what you were referring to? And uh, a scope on it, a vortex scope, which is a very large scope that could be um, screwed as a hopper. And in your experience on the paintball guns you've used, is that where the hopper is located on a paintball gun? The hopper on a paintball gun can sometimes come off of the side of the gun and come right up to on top of the rail. And in your experience, some of the paintball guns you've used, can they be approximately the same size as that firearm? Yes. And, Your Honor, I would ask permission for the detective or someone to hold that up to display it for the jurors and then have those... Uh, that scope pointed out again to make sure that they can observe it. All right, I'd ask uh, Deputy Ravello if you would assist in that, please. And Detective Kaikamanu, if you could just go over and point again where you were saying that scope is to make sure the jurors can see it. Again, right here is the vortex scope that comes down on the top of the rail of the rifle. And if you could describe again where the hopper is sometimes located on paintball guns you have experience using. Uh -huh. before, I'm sorry, before we answer, Mr. Thomas, would you like to go where you can observe what's being pointed out? Thanks, Judge. All right. And, Your Honor, would you like me to have him point out that scope again once yeah. Mr. Thomas is there? No, uh, yes, thank you, Ms. Blake. So now that Mr. Thomas, can you see? Yes. Uh, Detective Kaikamano, can you once again point out where that scope is that you're referencing? So, again, the vortex scope is on the top of the rail of the rifle. And in your experience working with paintball guns, can you indicate again where the hopper is located? On a paintball gun, excuse me, paintball gun comes out the side and comes up um, right above the rail of the paintball gun. And in your experience, do can a paintball gun resemble an AR-15? Yes. Just one moment. And I don't have any additional questions at this time, Your Honor. Okay. Thank you, Ms. Blake. Go ahead and just have the exhibit set down on the table there. Thank you, Mr. Bailiff. All right, Mr. Thomas, cross-examination. Detective, how are you doing today? Good, how are you? Good, good.
So uh, you indicate that you've worked for Fremont County for a number of years. How many years was that? 18. 18. And how long as a detective? Seven. And you indicate that you're a lieutenant over the detectives at this time? Uh, sergeant over detectives. Sergeant. And how long have you been the sergeant over the detectives? Uh, approximately a year and a half. Okay. So you were um, just a regular detective, and now you're the sergeant over the detectives. Is that right? Correct. There hasn't been any move back to patrol or back to another uh, uh capacity in, in the sheriff's office between in, in the last seven years you've been in the detectives division correct okay all right you indicated that you had some special training you went to post um did you go to college anywhere before post or i did not okay uh so the first thing that uh ms blake had you talk about was the October 19th uh, incident where um, Ms. Daybell had passed away. Um, on that particular day, you said that you were uh, on call, you were the on call detective, is that right? Correct. Okay. So, and how many detectives do you have in your division? At that time, we had myself and one other detective. And that was? Uh, detective that was Mattingly. Mattingly. And then Greenhalgh <clears throat> was not a detective. Correct. She was okay. not. So it's you and Mattingly, our detectives on October 19, 2019. So you switch off between being on call for that, is that how it works? Correct. Okay. Um, and so uh, you're on call that night. Um, you get a call uh, from Kareen Hodge, but you don't answer it because you're asleep or something, something else is going on. Is that right? Correct. All right. And so she talks to... Uh, Detective Mattingly, um, but you still go out to the scene later that morning? Negative. I didn't go out to the scene. Okay. Um, so Greenhouch was at the scene, Mattingly was at the scene, and then there were two coroners at the scene? Uh, there was two coroners at the scene, De uh, Deputy Greenhouch, and I do not believe Detective Mattingly went to the scene. Oh, he didn't go to the scene either? Not to my knowledge, no. Okay. Um but you somehow uh, got in touch with Greenhalgh or Mattingly uh, and talked about uh, whether or not they needed, there needed to be further investigation. Is that right? Correct. You were asking about suspicious circumstances? Correct. Um, and there was nothing out of the ordinary about the death at that time? Not that I was informed of. Okay. And who else did you talk to besides uh, Greenhalgh? Did you talk to Mattingly? Uh, that same day? Yeah. I did not. Okay. So you only talked to Greenhalgh? Correct. Did you talk to either of the coroners? I did not. Okay. Um, so based on that, were you the one that made the call that there wasn't going to be any follow-up investigation on that? I was not. Who was the one who made that call? I believe it was Detective Mattingly and the coroners. Okay. So, so Mattingly didn't go out to the scene... Oh, so were you the sergeant over, were you in charge, the head guy, at that time, or no? At the time, I was not a sergeant, no. Okay. Who was the sergeant over you guys? 
Uh, we didn't have a sergeant at the time. It was Lieutenant Powell that was over the detective division. Okay. And did either of you go to Lieutenant Powell um, and chat with him about this at all? I on that particular day, I guess I should clarify that, on that particular day, October 19th. I believe uh, Detective Mattingly spoke with Lieutenant Powell. I am not aware of what was said in that conversation. Okay, all right. Uh, but then you indicate that a couple weeks later uh, you got involved with, or the Fremont County Sheriff's Office got involved with the Tammy's death, right? Correct. And you got involved in March of 2020. Yeah, around that time. Okay. Yes. The state said that this was some sort of a joint investigation between, because it involved an investigation of Brandon Bedreau, the two missing kids, as well as Charles Vallow. Is that right? Correct. And when you say joint investigation, what is your understanding of what a joint investigation is? Uh, my understanding of a joint investigation is uh, criminal activity that's happened over several jurisdictions and states, and um, that's when we get involved if something happened in our jurisdiction. And I and I probably phrased it poorly. Let me just let me just ask you this: what, When I say joint investigation, and you say, "Yeah, we were involved in a joint investigation," what kind of um, sharing of information goes on? I mean, are you are you fully involved? Are you not very involved? How does that work? At the time when Fremont County got involved, um, we were asked to locate a a jeep out of Texas or the plate out of a Texas. That Jeep belonged to Tylee Ryan, and she had gone missing. Um, that is, I believe, when Lieutenant Powell got that call, um, and that's how we got involved. Okay. And how about when, when you got involved? When I got involved, um, <clears throat> it was already underway with the attempted shooting of Brandon Boudreaux, the homicide on Charles Vallow, um, Tylee and JJ missing, and then the suspicious death into Tammy Daybell. Okay. And so you were part of that joint investigation starting in March of 2020, correct? Correct. All right. So were you in the know about the investigation of the Brandon Boudreaux shooting? I was aware of it, yes. Okay. And are you aware if they were able to find any shell casings or any bullets or anything like that? I don't believe they did, but I I can't say yes or no on that. Okay. And that's kind of where I was going with the joint investigation. How much did you know about what other jurisdictions knew? So that's kind of where I'm going with my questions for you. So um, you didn't know if they found any bullets or any casings or anything like that in the Brandon Madreau investigation? Correct. All right. Um, and then you started investigating... The attempted shooting of Tammy Daybell, is, were, were you the point man on that? I didn't investigate that. I looked into that report, and no, I was not the point uh, deputy on that case. Who, who was the point on that case? Um, deputy Coulter Cannon. Okay. All right. So when you say you looked into it, what do you mean you looked into it? Um, when I got involved on Tamara Daybell's death, um, I, was, I had figured out that previous we got a call for an attempted shooting at that residence, 
And so that's when I read his report and started looking into it that way. So you read Coulter Cannon's report? Correct. Okay. And then there was a an email that was circulated and that was actually brought into evidence. You recall that this morning? If you're referring to the one that Tammy wrote to Mark, then yes. Yes, I'm referring to Exhibit 291. Can I, can I take a look at 291, please? Can I publish? Can I publish parts of two ninety one? Yes. Okay. Thanks. So this. So this is the first page of 291. You recall reading from the bottom of that page earlier? Yes. Okay. And you basically just referenced who it was to and who it was from, right? Correct. But you reviewed the entire email, right? Correct. All right. But the, and the email is three pages long, is that right? I would have to look at it again. Okay. That's correct. Okay. So this first page um, really doesn't have anything to do with what we're talking about or what we're here for today, correct? Correct. All right. What does it have to do with, if you even recall? Um, she had me emailed several people. I'm not, this one looks like it's, Email to Shirley Newman. Um, they talk about a lot of church stuff. She goes back and forth. Uh, she emails several people on on all that. Okay, and I guess I'm I'm wondering how is it that the stuff that's really pertinent got put onto this particular email? That I cannot answer. Okay. So now I'm flipping to page two, um, and what is that email, what is that portion of the email about? So the beginning of this portion of the email, um, Tammy is talking about how her neighbor's dog um, was out, and somebody drove by and took her neighbor's dog. Stole the dog. Stole the dog. And um, Mrs. Price got in her vehicle, chased the person who stole her dog down, and confronted her got her dog back, and then went into labor. And that portion of the email about stealing the dog actually becomes pertinent to this investigation, doesn't it? I wouldn't say pertinent. Okay. What would you call it? I would just say it was part of an email that she wrote to Mark on what was happening on the events of that day. Okay. Let's, let's turn to the last page of this email.
So the last page of this email, the first full paragraph, starting with his theory. Do you know who he is when they're talking about his theory? Um, she is referring to Mr. Price. All right. And Mr. Price is, is uh, referenced in the, the line just above it, right? Correct. All right. And that's how you know that it's Mr. Price? Correct. All right. Would you go ahead and read that paragraph for me? His theory is that a cra the crazy dog lady brought her husband back to steal the dog again. They had parked down the road, and he had snuck through the, ca the cow fields. He was going to cut through the front yard when I pulled up and startled him. He didn't know what to do, so he panicked and tried to menace, menace me with the non-real gun and then ran off across the field, which would explain why he ran to the north side of the house and why I never heard a car and we couldn't find anyone or him anywhere. It's actually a pretty good theory, and Matt is going to do some amateur sleuthing since the lady told Regan where she lives. I'll keep you posted if we ever figure anything else out. Okay. And so when you followed up with this and you talked to, talked to Matt or talked to Regan, uh, what did you find out? That That's what was happening, and that was his theory. And when you talked to the guy... The, the lady that stole the dog, when you talked to her husband, what did he have to say? I didn't talk to him. You didn't follow up on this lead? I did not. You didn't think it was a credible lead? I did not. Okay. In fact, you... Oh, let's ask this. I don't want to jump the gun here. So I'm turning back to page two, um, and let's read the first full paragraph from the bottom. It starts, I think I was a bit in shock. Can you read that for me? Uh, what paragraph? Uh, just above, uh, it starts out with, I think I was in a bit of, I, I think I was a bit in shock. I think I was a bit in shock because I said, what do you think you were doing? Then I noticed a rifle was actually a paintball gun it had a hopper on it the guy started pulling the trigger and i could just hear the clicking and whooshing sound of an empty paintball gun he stayed standing by the back of the car just pulling the trigger while pointing the gun at me for some reason i just kept asking him what he thought he was doing at that point i was actually more annoyed than scared because he was standing between me and the door and he didn't step towards me or even say anything. The scared part came after when my brain thought of what things could have happened. Okay. <clears throat> so let's let's take this a little bit at a time here. It's she she's talking to the to the man, right? This is what she says in her email. What do you think you're doing, right? Okay. So she identifies that he's close enough to her to at least have a conversation. Did you follow up with how far she was from this person? Again, I didn't do the investigation at this point when this call came out, so no, I did not. Okay, but well, you said you followed up on stuff. 
correct. This is one of the things you followed up on? I did not have a chance to talk to Tamara Daybell by the time I got this case. Okay. And it says the guy started pulling the trigger, and I could just hear clicking and whooshing sound of an empty paintball gun, right? Correct. All right. So when you fire an AR-15, or I'm not sure if this is an AR-15. Is this an AR-15? This is an Alexander Grendel 6.5. Right. And for the normal person like me who doesn't have assault rifles, is this considered an assault rifle? It's on an assault rifle platform, yes. Okay, so it's an AR, just not an AR-15. It would be an AR Grendel 6? Correct, 6.5. Okay, 6.5, sorry. Okay, so when firing, have you ever fired one of these? Not uh, Grendel 6.5, no, I have not. Okay. Um, so you don't know what they sound like when they're fired? I do not. Okay. Um, do you, you have experience with other assault rifles though, correct? Correct. Somewhere similar to this? Correct. Okay. Do they make a whooshing sound when, when, you, when they're fired? If you were to have a suppressor on it and depending on what size of bullet, um, it wouldn't make a whooshing sound, but it'd be very quiet. Okay. So when you say what type of bullet, you would have to actually have a subsonic type of bullet, right? Correct. Something that is a specialized bullet specifically for guns that you put suppressors on, correct? Correct. Okay. And where do you get that ammunition? Uh, I am not sure if you can buy it. Uh, usually people make it. Okay. Reload. Okay. And did you find any reloading equipment or or any of this type of subsonic things that are uh, subsonic type ammunition in Alex Cox's apartment? In Alex Cox's belonging, there were some reloading equipment, uh, not a full setup, but there were some. Okay. You didn't find any subsonic bullets or subsonic casings? I did not. Okay. Um, would you hear the click and the whoosh if you were to fire that with a suppressor on it? Again, it depends on the caliber that's going through. Um, maybe a rate, uh, malfunction, you'd hear a click. But other than that, that's about it. Right. But if you would hear the click, you wouldn't hear the whoosh, right? Correct. So you'd either hear a click or a whoosh? Possibly, yes. Okay. But generally not both? Generally not both, yes. Okay. And when this type of a firearm is um, uh, fired... Where does the casing go? It ejects, is that correct? Correct. All right. And it would go somewhere in the general area of where the person who shot it, probably within six feet, I'm assuming? Possibly. I'm not sure of the trajectory, but, yeah, possibly, unless they had a malfunction and the casing stayed inside the rifle. Well, if they had a malfunction and the casing stayed inside the rifle, you, would either, you wouldn't hear any more clicks and any more whooshing, right? You would hear a click. But no wishing? No wishing. Okay. And so, you did you later go out uh, to the scene of this particular uh, event and with a metal detector try to find some sort of casings or bullets or anything? I did not go out there. I do know that there was a warrant 
uh, for that residence. And at that time, uh, several other deputies and officers did do that with uh, metal detectors and tried to locate a casing. Okay. Did they find anything? I don't believe so, no. Okay. Um, when you looked around, you obviously looked around the property, right, where, where this bullet would have, the trajectory that it would have gone to? Again, I was not out there. Okay. Um, did, to your knowledge, did anybody find any bullet holes in any buildings or any, any of the houses or cars or anything nearby? To my knowledge, no. Okay. But you guys looked? Correct. Okay. All right, so let's read, uh, starting with this last paragraph on that page. Uh, it's three lines long, and then we'll read the, the remainder of that paragraph on, this, on the next page. Can you go ahead and do that for me? The thought crossed my mind to hit him with my clogging shoes, but first I looked, I looked towards the house and yelled, Chad. The guy ran off around the north side of the house. I ran in the house and got Dad and Garth. They looked outside, but we couldn't find we couldn't find him. We called the police and reported it. The suspect was they suspect the su they suspect it was a bipolar teenager who lives down the street and walks around a lot. But Matt Price has a better theory. All right, and so the suspect they thought was a person who was a bipolar teenager who lives down the street and walks around a lot. Is that right? Correct. All right. And did you check into that bipolar teenager? We talked to um, several individuals around the area about um, the bipolar is uh, what they put there, the bipolar teenager, um, and in fact found out it was he had autism and he lived a lot further away from the Daybell residence than uh, what would have been in walking distance. Okay. And I don't want to drag uh, an autistic child into this, but did you end up talking to the autistic child? I did not. Okay. Um, so no further, uh, no further follow-up was done on the suspected bipolar teenage child? No. Okay. So of all the people mentioned in here that it could be, you really didn't follow up talking to any of those people that were mentioned in here? Um, we talked to Matt and Regan Price. Right, but they weren't suspected of, of shooting Tammy, right? No, that was Matt's theory. Okay. But the people that were suspected, the theories or the people that were suspected of doing this, you didn't talk to any of them? Correct. Okay. So through your investigation, 
You did some, and I'm, I'm sorry, I'm done with this exhibit. Thank you. I would like to now see 107B. Established that there is a gun that you found in uh, Alex Cox's possession, correct? Rexburg PD found that, yes. I'm sorry. When I say you, I guess I mean collectively the joint investigation? Correct. Okay. So um, I'd like to turn to this second page. I was, you know, all right. Um, so we've established that that we had you found or somebody found uh, a Grendel uh, six point five. Um, does anybody know when that gun was purchased? I don't have that um, in the investigation. I believe. Um, our guys have looked into that and do know. So somebody knows, but you don't. Correct. Okay. Do you know who might know? I believe uh, Detective Concitus or FBI agent um, Douglas. Okay. And they ran the serial number off the gun. That I am not sure. Okay. Is that I, I'm just asking because I don't know. Is that how you would generally do it? Is run the serial number? Usually when we collect guns, yes, we run all the serial numbers. I do not know if they did. Okay. And that's generally to see if they're stolen or, or something like that? Correct. And how would you find the purchase? Uh, and, I, I, again, I've never bought a gun, so I don't really know. But when you purchase a gun, I'm assuming they have to do something with that serial number or no? Do you know? What do you mean by do, do, doing something to it? Well, when somebody sells mean something, I get a receipt for it, but is, do we have to register the gun in some way, or is it just only if it comes up stolen, is that when they put it in the system? When you purchase a firearm, they'll uh, associate that uh, serial number to whoever purchased it. Okay. So that's how that's done. Okay. And so that's how you track, that's how you're assuming that uh, maybe Detective Concitus found that out? Along with receipts. Okay. Um, so would it be out of the ordinary for someone to search if they bought a gun like that to make searches like 6.5 Grendel drop from 100 yards to 200 yards if they owned a 6.5 Grendel? It would depend what they're shooting it for. Okay. What would you shoot that particular gun for? Usually long range. Okay. Hunting? Depends. I wouldn't purchase that firearm for hunting. Right. It's not only for just for target practice or for guys to be machismo and say, hey, I got a big gun, right? Correct. Okay. So if you go to, to the range, are you going to want to know 
and maybe let me just ask you this because I'm not really sure about it either. 6.5 Grundle drop from 100 yards to 200 yards. What does that mean? So the further you're back in yardage and shooting, your bullet's going to drop a little bit. And so <clears throat> with your scope is you need to dial that in. So you shoot to get it accurate from several different yards, different 100 yards, so you can be accurate at one. And mm -hmm. usually when you get that sighted in, you kind of stay at that yardage for that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so when, we're, when we say that the bullet is going to drop, it's due to gravity, it's due to drift, it's due to uh, wind, those kinds of things, right? Correct. All right. And so if you're target practicing, you're going to want to be on target, am I right? Correct. And the way to know that is to go through the Internet, make these searches, find those kinds of things. Is that one way to do it? Yes, it is. Okay. Another way would be to find somebody who has one of these and you can talk to them and they can, you know, you can form a club or whatever and be buddy buddy and, and work it out that way, right? Yes. But if you're new to the area, one of the best ways to do that is to get online, right? Correct. All right. And those Google searches that were done on October the 10th, um, the reason that you did a summary is because what the state reported or what they told the court was because there was a voluminous information and just to kind of square down and, and, and pack down what your pertinent ones were, right? That's not why I looked these specific dates over now. Okay. But what you found on these specific dates, these are not the only uh, uh, searches that were done on those particular dates. Correct. All right. There were some searches that you didn't put on here. On the Google search itself, like this says up at top, these were the Google searches of those of that day of this information. All the Google searches? Yes. Every search that he did on that day is on this piece of paper. There were some other searches as far as, if you'd like me to go in that, I can. Yeah, tell me everything that was on that day. Every there were searching other from searches midnight. of... Talking over the top of each other. Okay. Starting, starting from midnight, tell me every search that was on October the 10th, 2019, that came off of this uh, Google account. I'm not sure starting at midnight... Uh, but there were several searches of uh, trannies. There were several searches of pornography okay. that I didn't think was pertinent to this slide to bring in today. Okay. So what you're saying is there are a lot of other things that were on this Google search that was that was done throughout the day rather than these particular searches that you made. Correct. Okay. So I guess what I'm saying is we're not trying to mislead the jury to say, hey, this guy is a gun nut and he's looking at this specific things all day long. This is all he's doing. There's a lot of other things he was doing. Correct. All right. Same thing on this slide. 
uh, October the 12th, 2019. These are not the only searches that were done on October the 12th, 2019, correct? Correct. There were a lot of other searches. Similar to what I just mentioned. All right. There's a lot of other things going on, right? Correct. All right. Okay, on this particular slide, uh, I don't know that you know this. You probably shouldn't know this because we had another person who testified, um, and he actually showed what searches or what uh, uh, who who had signed in on every single day. And there were these were these were long sheets of paper, correct? Like a full sheet of paper. There were, there were other people's names on these. Right? Yes. All right. And that's where you got the information on this particular slide was from those sign-in sheets, right? Yes. All right. And so when you went to Fremont County Sportsman's Club, um, who did you talk to when you went there? Um, that was Lieutenant Powell that got this information. And um, Okay. So this isn't your information? This is not my information that I retrieved, no. So somebody else made this slide for you? No, I made this slide with our prosecutors, but the information was from another report. Again, it goes back to a joint investigation that we have shared information and put everything together. Okay. And who was it that did this particular investigation? When Lieutenant Powell was first started on the investigation, he retrieved this information. When I took over the investigation, he was no longer part of the investigation, so I took over that information. Okay. And in the information that he gave to you, there's a report that indicated that he had actually talked to people at the Fremont Sportsman's Club? He talked to uh, Les Ball, who is on the – he's the president of the board. Okay. Of the uh, Sportsman's Association. All right. And did – you or anybody that you know actually go out to the sportsman club and investigate anybody that was on any of those sheets? Anybody else that was on the and, names? Uh, any of the names that were on the sheets of paper on the days that you're alleging that Alex Cox was there with the name of C. Quint? Not to my knowledge, no. So you didn't do any investigation? Nobody did any investigation as to who else was there? Who might have seen Alex Cox there? No. Okay. So based on the totality of what we were looking at, um, you're saying that you didn't investigate and you don't know who investigated the autistic boy or bipolar teenager, and you didn't investigate or you don't know that anybody investigated the person, the husband who stole the dog, and nobody went out and talked to anybody at the shooting range who may have seen Alex Cox on that day, correct? Correct. Okay. 
Now, when you did the uh, did the investigation with regards to the geofence, you did a geofence warrant for two different locations, 202 North, 1900 East, and that's Chad's house, correct? Correct. And you also did 3462 North Salem Highway, and that's the church that's about 2.7 miles from Chad's house? 2.6. 2.6 miles? Correct. Okay. And you did a geofence of 150-meter perimeter. Is that right? Correct. So how does that work? Does that Do you go from the, from the center of the property 150 yards in either direction or 150 yards total? It's uh, in the center of the property, 150 yards all the way around in a circle. So 150 yards in any direction? 150 meters, yes. I'm sorry, 150 meters. And a meter is roughly a yard, right? Roughly, but we'll stick with meters. Okay. Meter is 3.3 feet, right? Uh, that I am not sure off the top of my head. Okay. Well, I dove in college, and I'm telling you it's 3.3 feet. Would that be accurate? But if Objection, Your Honor. Defense is getting trying to introduce it. Testimony not in evidence. Sustained. Okay. All right. So we'll say meters, okay, for whatever it's worth. 150 meters. Do you know how far 150 meters is if you were standing uh, at one end of a football field? I do not. Okay. You have no idea? No idea. Not even a clue? I just said no. Okay. All right. Do you know how many feet uh, 150 meters is? I do not. Didn't bother to check to see how far it was? Objection, Your Honor. Relevance. I think the detective already testified to the distance within the warrant. Asked and answered. Okay, Judge. Um, so 150 meters, um, you indicated that you thought that uh, Chad Daybell's phone, or I'm sorry, not Chad Daybell's phone, Alex Cox's phone, was in the church parking lot within 150 meters. I tested, testified to a device that was associated with Alex Cox's Homer J. Maximus was pinging in the vicinity of the church. Within 150 meters? Within the 150 meters of my geofence location. Okay. And did you get specific, anything more specific than somewhere within 150 meters? I guess I don't understand that question. Okay. You have a geofence location, which is a large circle, right? Correct. I'm just going to guess. And then you have a pinpoint in the middle of that circle, which would be the, which would be the, 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 the dot where everything is uh, focused on, right? Correct. Okay. So is there anything within that larger circle? Can you pinpoint in any particular direction or any particular area where this Homer J. Maximus phone was located, or was it the only information you got was it was somewhere within the 150-meter range? It was uh, showing Wi-Fi hits off the backside of the church. Okay. Okay, and that's what you got was the Wi-Fi hits? Correct. And the Wi-Fi hits came from somebody else's house? Correct.
Can I have you walk over and pick up 278 or 279, actually both of them? And, Your Honor, I don't know if he's going to have him walk back to the stand or if we need the um, handheld mic again. Well, 278 and 279 can just be delivered to him on the stand. That's fine, Judge. Okay. You can return to your seat. Thanks. And I apologize for the interruption. Just wanted to clarify that. That's fine, Ms. Blake. Thank you. So I think you testified earlier that 278 and 279 were, um, I forgot what you call them now. Baffles. Baffles. Okay. So it, it, when I said, and I said, so baffle is just a, a chunk of metal, is that right? Is that what you're looking at? From my understanding, yes. Okay. Is there anything that, I mean, it's a round piece of metal, right? It's circular, kind of like a tube? Yes. And it's solid? Yes. All right. And there's not been any drill holes in it or anything like that? Uh, there's a drill hole on both ends. Okay. And does it go all the way through? No. Okay. So it couldn't be used as a suppressor. It would actually blow the gun up, right? Correct. Okay. All right. Nothing further. All right, let's have the exhibits returned to the table there, please. Thank you, Mr. Bailiff. Redirect. Thank you, Your Honor. Detective Kayakamanu, you were asked about whether or not anyone else responded out on the morning of October 19th, 2019, besides the deputy and the two individuals from the coroner's office, correct? Correct. And to the best of your knowledge, did any detectives respond out that morning? No, they did not. Do you know why that was? When I called the coroner back after I missed her call approximately an hour later, um, she had told me that she had already talked to Detective Mattingly and had walked through everything with Detective Mattingly. Um, after that conversation, I also asked Deputy Greenhalge, um, again, if anything was out of the ordinary, any forced entry, um, anything sticking out to her. Um, I was not made aware of anything. I also asked her, if the coroner saw anything that was different or out of the ordinary, she told me no. And on October 19th of 2019, were you aware of or had you heard of J.J. Ballow? Of October 19th? Yes, prior to Fremont County becoming involved, had you heard of J.J. Ballow? Yes. And did you hear of J.J. Vallow before you became involved in the investigation? I did. Did you hear of him prior to the end of October? Yes. Yeah, I'm going to object. These questions are uh, all beyond the scope of cross-examination. I didn't talk anything about J.J. Vallow. I'll overrule that at this point, Ms. Blake, but it's getting close to beyond the scope, I would say. On October 19th of 2019, were you, actually I'll back up, you testified that 
you did not become involved in an investigation regarding the death of Tammy Daybell until 2020. Is that correct? Correct. And I think you also testified in response to Cross that when Fremont became involved, you they were assisting or looking for a Jeep? Correct. Do you know if that Jeep was reported to have been involved in or suspected in criminal activity? I believe it was. And do you know where that criminal activity would have occurred? In Gilbert, Arizona. Was Fremont County in... And do you know when that request was made, or approximately when? I can't, I can't think of it off the top of my head. I would have to refer. I think you testified previously, Fremont County did not become involved in a joint investigation until the end of October of 2019? Correct. And that was after the death of Tamara Daybell? Correct. So on the morning she died, to the best of your knowledge, did Fremont County have all of the information regarding those other investigations? They did not have all the, inv or all the information, no. You were asked about why there was some other information on that email that you were looking at? Yes. And at the bottom of that first page, you'd read off the sender, the person it was sent to, and a date. Is that correct? Correct. And then the body of that actual email started on the next page. Is that correct? Correct. So with the phone extraction, would there have been remnants of a prior email? Yes. And that's what was contained on the first page? Yes. And you ask a lot about the contents of that email, um, specifically mention of a bipolar teen. Correct. Did that seem plausible to you? No. What about a dog thief or her husband? Did that seem like a plausible suspect? No. The Daybell residence, can you describe the area where it's located? Is it a city? Is it rural? So the Daybell residence is at 202 North, 1900 East, at a crossroads, which is a rural area and a farm community. On the east side of their house and the northeast side of their, their house is just open field for several, several hundred yards. Um, it's a farming area, and it's very open. Do you get a lot of reports of masked gunmen in that area? No. Do you know, I believe in that email from Tammy, she referenced that this had happened uh, at night, this attempted shooting? Correct. Where this house is located, are there street lights or city lights? No, at the time of the attempted shooting on Tamar Daybell, there was a blinking yellow light, but that would have been the only light around the area. And you'd talked earlier about um, some location data in relation to a device associated with Alex Cox. Was that device in the area of the Daybell residence earlier that day on October 9th of 2019? The Homer J. Maximus, um, a device associated with that, yes, there was. And are you aware of 
one of the roads that runs by the Daybell residence, I think their their house sits at an intersection. Is that correct? Correct. And one of the roads is the Salem Highway. Yes, one's the, the known as the Salem Highway or 1900 East, and the one that crosses that is 200 North. And on that 200 North, are you aware or familiar with some kind of a pullout for a canal? I am. Judge, we're not talking about that. We, we're going far afield. I'll sustain that. I think it's beyond the scope, Ms. Blake. Your Honor, he was asked, the detective was asked a lot about why he didn't follow up on certain leads. I think this goes directly to that. So I think it is within the bounds of the cross. Uh, of the direct you did, it's beyond the scope and with the cross as well. So I will sustain the objection, Ms. Blake. Okay. With this particular gun um, that we've talked a lot about, can you tell by looking at it if it is threaded for a silencer or a suppressor? Uh, by looking at it, yes, you can put a suppressor on there. If you put a suppressor on a firearm in your experience, can it change the sounds? Yes. When you conduct an investigation, do you go where the evidence leads you? Yes. Is that what you did in this case? Yes. And is that, in fact, why you were looking at searches associated with Homer J. Maximus? Yes. And is that, in fact, why you looked at shooting range logs, specifically looking for anyone or an identifier associated with Alex Cox? Yes. You were asked by defense if you had a chance to talk to Tammy about the paintball gun incident, you responded you did not. Correct. Is that because she was killed nine to ten days later? That is correct. I have no further questions. All right. Thank you, Ms. Blake. That will conclude the testimony of Detective Kai Kamanu. Um, I believe he'll continue to be made available to the state, is that correct? We would actually ask that he be released. Okay. Any no objection. All right. Thank you for your testimony today. Council could have a brief sidebar before we call another witness. All right, upon uh, conferring with counsel in a sidebar, the defense does intend to introduce some exhibits, which may take some time. However, they're going to make a further review of that, uh, see where they agree or disagree with the state. We may probably hear a uh, motion on that in the morning, potentially outside of the presence of the jury, to determine where that stands um, in order to allow the parties to get prepared for that. I am going to find that we'll conclude for this afternoon for the day's proceedings, and so we'll just plan on starting again tomorrow. Um, I'll also indicate tomorrow there's a, another hearing the court has to take up later in the afternoon, so we'll be stopping a little bit early tomorrow, probably around 3.10, no later than 3.15 for our end time tomorrow. So that will conclude the testimony for today. The cross-examination of this witness will commence in the morning. 
before we break for the day. Um, I will give the jurors the daily admonishment to please continue to follow the court's instruction to not discuss this case amongst yourselves or with anyone else. Please don't look the case up. Read about it in any way. If you see it being reported in the media, please don't watch the reports and continue to do your duty to remain impartial in this case so you can reach a verdict only on the evidence that you've seen here in court. Uh, with that in mind, we appreciate your continued service and we will recess for the day. All right, please.